Now it's working. Now we're now we're cooking with gas. Now I have gas. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, everyone, and welcome to Sneaky Dragon. My name is David Dedrick. I'm Ian Boothby. I am the co-host. <laughs> yes, I am the co-host as well. That's right. We are co-hosting. We're co-co-co-hosters. Uh, here's, here's the thing. I, also, I own a business with my wife. Oh. And uh, we've been having a situation with the bank where we've been going, hey, money's been taken out of the bank. Why is, why is this money being taken out of the bank? We, uh, uh, we have no records of this money being taken out of the bank. So it's one of those mysteries. Yeah. So uh, we went to the bank and said, hey. So the money being taken out of the bank. And they went, oh, we don't know. Let's look it up. Yeah, we don't know. Uh, yeah, because basically we were getting like a regular tax payment, like take our uh, tax. Yeah, we sure. pay the tax. Yeah, yeah. They take it out. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, we had to stop that for like a little bit. And uh, and then uh, we were we were going to, uh, you know, change the amount. And when they went, oh, there's no records of any of these payments being made. That's strange. Uh, and uh, and then the payment got taken out, hmm. but there was still no record of the payment being taken out. Yeah. But the payment was still taken out. Yes. So we're like, hmm. And again, go to the bank. Uh, what's this all about? Huh. And so they called the manager, and the manager went, huh. <laughs> and they called the other guy, and the guy came in, and he went, okay, well, huh. So they gave us a they gave us a phone number to call. Yeah. So we called the phone number, and the person on the on the phone number said, uh, uh, yeah, I don't work for the bank. Like yeah, we know, but do you know what's going on with this? Hmm. No, really. Wait, do you have two people who are like uh, access to this account? Yeah. Oh, okay. Try the other card. So we try the other card, and then uh, we could access it. But we were, but but we should both be able to access all this information. Yeah. So we were always like presenting the card that did not have access to the information. Oh. You know, like any good business where one of the partners in the business <laughs> yeah. should not have access to the financial records. Sure. You know how yeah, businesses yeah. work? Well, yeah. Where, you it's know. A, well, like a Scrooge and Marley. Yeah. One knows yeah. what's going on and the other one is yeah. just trust. Yeah. Yeah. It was that kind of situation. Sears but and Roebuck. It seems also like a real basic fucking thing for the bank to have not been able to figure out. That mystery. Yeah. I think that it's so totally unrelated. Just kind of, well, maybe maybe your card isn't that the same. Yeah, how about this obvious thing? Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, we checked that out and we're able to uh, fix things. <sighs> we basically, because we're going on a trip, as you know, and uh, huh? we, we didn't want to be leaving the country with uh, random amounts of money being taken out of the bank yeah, randomly. I don't, I don't, so that, I don't blame you. It makes it kind of hard. Yeah. I remember being in, uh, I was in Florence with the family and my... my uh, credit card stopped working because i had maxed it out throughout the trip by paying for stuff on it mm-hmm. and so then i had to like this is before the internet so then i had to go find a phone phone my bank and then transfer money onto my card to pay it down so that i could continue to use it mm-hmm. but um it's just kind of a, i mean to add that you know it's already like a tenuous existence when you're traveling yeah so to add money being removed at, at randomly from your account would yeah not make you feel comfortable. Yeah, two fun things on uh, that I found out when we were in our travels. One yeah. was uh, if you use your credit card, yes. your credit card as a safety feature will stop working. Because they're like, oh, there's someone in another country using your credit card. Mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I understand that. But like, <laughs> give me a call then and say, hey, is this you? Don't just go, you know what we're going to do? I'm going to freeze that. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's right. Because, you know, the way you find that out is uh, at a moment that you need that money, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and then that that's not a good time to have a nice long conversation <laughs> with your bank. A nice time for that is before that, you know, where yeah, you yeah. go, oh, hey, here's how it goes. The other thing that I found out is uh, I'm with TD Bank. Okay. Uh, the Toronto Dominion Bank. Yes. Because I'm Canadian and I'm proud. Yes. There's so, two different banks at one point. Well, this is the nice thing. So you go to the States yeah. and uh, I was like, oh, this is great because like uh, where I was staying was right next to a TD bank. Yeah. I'll be able to like deposit money uh, in the TD bank there yeah. because that's my bank. And yeah. I go in like, this isn't your bank. <laughs> like, well, it is. If we look at my card, I'm, I'm with a TD bank. Yeah. Yeah. That's a different TD bank. So your name is exactly the same as my bank. Your logo is the same. Yeah. The design of the building is the same. This all seems to be the same, but you're telling me it's a completely different bank. Yes. Hmm. Interesting. So there we go. Yeah, that was also fun to find out. Oh, that is interesting. Mm -hmm. In the old days, I used to call to let my credit card company know I'd be traveling. Yeah. And I guess they put it on I did afterwards. Okay. After after that one incident. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Where a hotel went, hey, you got no... No, you have no credit card. <laughs> Your card has been rejected. Yeah. Uh, and then I phoned the last time we went to England. I guess that was in 2012. I phoned my credit card company. And they're like, yeah, you don't have to call anymore. We can, we know where you are. I was like, oh, great. We can track your every movement with our computers. Don't worry about it. Yeah, there's a thing. Like, we watched uh, in our uh, friend's backyard. We watched uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Uh, a we couple did. of weeks ago, it was fun, and yeah. it was a nice movie about a couple of guys and their friends, and they rob banks and whatnot. Yep, um, a couple and, upstanding fellows, right? You know, they're good natures. They joke when they do it, so it's okay. It's okay <laughs> when they're when they're saying, "I'm going to blow your head off" to the lady who's lying on the floor. Yeah, um, and the floors weren't clean back then because it was old times. So yeah. you know, you could you could get like syphilis from a floor back then. It was bad. <laughs> so. But but I always think like what happened was the origin story that they don't show yeah. is them going in there and going I'd like to take money out of my account oh well, I wish we could but there's a five day business hold okay okay well five days have passed no that doesn't count with the weekends oh and the check came from another state so we got to hold it for another ten I'm robbing the bank and you're like yeah you're going like fine rob the bank it's just easier that must be it I'm sure you're right I'm sure you're right yeah yeehaw we're wisecrackers when I was paying for my hotel for this trip my card rejected it initially but it sent me like an e- a email or a text and was like is this you you know and then say yes or no and so i said yes it is me making this purchase and they're like okay try it again and it'll go through so it did work but yeah it is i mean i can't I'm not going to complain of that they have safety things to keep my money yeah. safe. I mean, it's... They write to you and it's like, are you a robot? And you write back no in binary code. And it's like, oh, zero, zero, I made zero, a one, mistake. Zero, zero. Yeah, that was my classic classic robot error there. Meep, boop. You are a robot. Have this com- have a conversation with Kirk and see if you blow up. <laughs> what is love? Bah, eat, bah, blomp. I think it's the most, most basic question. Destroys a robot. Here's a Star Trek question I've got for you. Oh, no. Yeah, I'm not a big Star Trek guy, except I like Lower Decks now and uh, okay. whatever. Okay, so now you're, now you're a big Trekkie. So uh, you got Data in Next Generation, who's just mm-hmm. fully, hi, how you doing? I'm talking to you. I'm Data. Yep. I'm, a, I'm an android, and I'm yep. talking like this. And like uh, back, but in Kirk's day, it was still this for <laughs> robots. When did they stop being this and being, and being, hey, 
Hi, I'm a robot. Yeah. Let me talk to you. How's took, it going? Took to the 1980s. In, uh, I think Star Trek takes place after the 1980s. It does? Yeah. Wait, the original Star Trek is 1960s. Yeah, but it's supposed to take place in the future. <laughs> yes, but unfortunately, the mindset of the show is in 1960. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> Why would all the people wearing, all the women were wearing miniskirts? Mm-hmm. Fashions it's change. It's 1960s. Fashions change. <laughs> I don't know. The, only, the most futuristic thing about their clothing are their terrible boots. Does anyone have uh, do do any religions from now exist in the uh, future in Star Trek? In Star Trek, yeah. Does anyone celebrate Christmas in uh, in Star Trek ever? I don't know. I don't. I'm not a big Star Trek guy. But so. just casually, you've probably seen an episode or two. I know I have, but I I, I, I missed. The never, there's never been like a holiday episode, a Christmas episode. I don't think there's a Christmas special for. Okay. I, yeah, I, I, is anyone any religion in and uh, except for alien planets where we've got to respect the religion because yeah, that's yeah. their culture and we shouldn't mess with it. Yeah, uh, but like on on Earth, anything or uh, have they just quietly gone? That's all. Uh, that's all gone. You don't. You never see a church on on Earth. Never, like ever. Just wondering if they had hush hush. Like just. You know, I don't know. But it's all gone bye bye. I don't know. Okay, very good. I can't answer that. Asked question. and answered. I can't, well, I can't. I didn't answer it. Asked and I, not answered. <laughs> asked and not answered because I don't. I don't know. It's better that than. I was thinking it that up. it would be interesting. It's kind of like in uh, "Girl with a Dragon Tattoo," where the lead character, played by a Swedish actor in the original version, and then Daniel Craig in the in the to me superior remake. Okay. But anyway, did not do well in theaters. But I think it was a superior movie. Okay, better than the book. Uh, the books. The books are... No, that book's good. Okay. But I think the movies are a little better because they kind of pare down all the... Anyway, it doesn't matter. No, no. But in the, in the story... Nothing matters. We're a podcast, He's a, He's an atheist. Okay. And his daughter is a Christian or has become a Christian. And he can't understand it. It makes no sense to him. Like okay. he just, he, In fact, he's kind of hostile about it because it's just so alien to his way of looking at the world. But... In the story, she is able to to kind of give him the the clue that kind of cracks the case because she recognizes these numbers that he had, these mysterious numbers, as Bible verses. Oh, okay. But he couldn't. But he couldn't see that because he doesn't read the Bible. He doesn't doesn't know. It has no meaning to him. Right. She's like, oh, that's that's how you write like Bible verses. And he's like, well, and he looks in the Bible and he's like, this is the clue we needed. So yeah, it's just uh, in the movie ver- in the Swedish version for some reason they they uh, they edit out the daughter. They take the daughter out of the story, but in the Ameri- the David Fincher version, they keep the daughter in the story, which I think is much more charming. That she just kind of comes to see her dad, and then she just randomly like breaks the case <laughs> before she leaves. It's just almost like she's getting, getting on the train and just says, "Oh, this," you know. Because I think in the I think in the Swedish version, it's Liz- Lisbeth, the Numi Rapace character, who you know she's just like a know it all, and so she solves it, but. It's le- it's less fun when there's just a character who's just like kind of a know it all and just kind of because it doesn't seem to be like in her wheelhouse that she would know that you know what I mean mm-hmm. like the way they present the character is not someone who's like clubbing it and then doing her computer hacking and then going to church doesn't make sense you know or even being that interested in it it'd be inter- uh, I, I'd like to see um, you know like a Da Vinci Code type film 
where the person is an expert in uh, religion and there's all these clues yeah and it's religion based yeah and uh, you know there's not a supernatural aspect but it's all religion based mm-hmm. and uh, and you're going through it and then uh, there's one clue they just can't crack and yeah it's something really basic like it is like all related to you know old star trek episodes or something it's like you know the killer had other interests <laughs> yeah, yeah and so threw that in yeah sure it's like a mix them up it's like these are all sports Sports uh, scores. Mm-hmm. You know, these are all the teams that won the Super Bowl for this this period of time or something. And I'm like, oh, oh you really throwing me off. I, I know stuff about the Bible, but I don't. Not a big fan of cricket. Yeah, you know, yeah. But yeah, you got to figure it out. You want here's what you want. You want a mm-hmm. you want a movie. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a horror movie. Yes, and it's uh, one of these you got to solve all the mysteries, or uh, you, you one of you dies each time. Um, and it's called Pub Quiz. And each one of them is like an expert on something. Okay. And you got to like determine. You know, so it's like thing. a different version of that, the, those escape room movies where people keep getting killed. Right. But I don't think, I don't know if in the escape room movies, if everyone's like a specific expert, maybe they are. But like you have one guy who's the music guy, one oh, person okay. who's the oh, sports you, person, you wanna, one okay. person, yeah, I don't you think, know, knows uh, a lot about science. Yeah. And so, you know, they've got to like solve these things. And then at some point, you know, it mixes up where it's just like the, the person who's like a music expert knows music too well. Mm-hmm. And so they're, they're like going to get the wrong thing. And the other person, no, it's more, it's just the most basic thing. They know that you're going to overthink this. It's like, huh. yeah, but technically, no, they're not, they don't care <laughs> about technically. This is, huh. this is the thing that it's going to be. Yeah. And they all have to, and then the, uh, the clues, you have to work together and one is com- combined sports with music and one is combined this with that. And it's like, at the Super Bowl match of da-da-da, the musician that performed did this and this and this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, escape Room is diff- yeah, different. I think most of the characters uh, could be defined as, except for one of them, they could be defined as victim. Yeah. That's pretty much it. I would say, here's, here'd be a question like for the sports and music. Uh, you know, at whatever uh, Super Bowl, uh, you know, the, the the final score, you know, minus the amount of numbers Prince performed, you know, at the at the <laughs> halftime show. It's like, okay, well, well, you did combine these two songs together. Does that count as one song or does that count as, you know, a transition? Yeah, you played into, a medley. What is that? Yeah, a medley. Does a medley count as one song or does it count as, you know? I, I think a medley is one song. But yeah, this uh, is the debate they have as the axe is getting closer. <laughs> um. I just just go back. I just kind of think it would be would be interesting if if you had like a thoughtful Star Trek episode. Like I I did I watched Gen, um, New, Next Generation for a while because I it's one of those things where you watch the, the very best show and you're like oh this show's quite good oh, I'm gonna watch it and and then you realize oh it's not it's not that great <laughs> but I watched the one with da- Data where he's kind of on trial like they have the, yeah is is he a is he, person, is, yeah. is he a person that's a really or interesting a sentient being yeah, yeah is that's a fascinating episode and it deals with a lot of interesting questions that feels like an old timey sci fi story yeah and I was I watched that and I was like oh this show is really good and then I I watched for a while longer and then I realized that most of the time they just are on the holodeck and I was like oh that's stupid stupid show <laughs> so yeah. I stopped watching it the holodeck's a problem. It's just too, yeah, it's just, it's, there's no rules and it's just like make em ups and, you know, you're willing to, like, uh, I think it was Harlan Ellison, some, some science fiction author said, you know, you get one or two gimmies mm-hmm. in your story. You know, you get, you get warp speed travel. You can go faster than light. You that's can, a big you, gimme. That's a gimme. But you can't have a bunch of gimme. You can't just keep getting gimmies all the time. And the holodeck feels like it's just like the biggest gimme. And it just goes on and on and on. It's bad enough that Q shows up, who's like the biggest gimme in the world. Well, the problem with both... Okay, the problem with Q... Okay, there's a couple of big problems with Q. <laughs> uh, 
but the big pro the big problem with Q is if you've got a holodeck, you don't need Q. Because the thing that the holodeck does, it can put you anywhere and make yeah. anything happen. Yeah. And so you can go back in time. You can fight a dinosaur. You can mm-hmm. you know, meet Sherlock Holmes. You can do whatever you want. Yeah. And that's what Q can do as well. You yeah. know, it's like he puts you into a situation that you the, couldn't be in. And the so difference with Q redundant. is that he is a he is a person, and so he's more dangerous than the holodeck in the sense that he has a sort of absolute power. Mm-hmm. And also could be arbitrarily, which could be arbitrarily then what you dished do, out. You then know? how you make Q then is Q isn't uh, you know an outside being that has all this uh, power because yeah. quite frankly, once you find out that there are Qs in the universe, yeah. your science means shit. <laughs> like all you should be doing at that point is like yeah. how does how does Q get this power? Because whoever has the power of Q uh, controls the universe, and and you know, even if you're looking at it defensively, yeah. You know, what are you doing? What Nothing that you do, uh, you know, will have any defense against this omnipotent being that can send you back in time and stop life from ever existing. Mm. Like, so where's the, what power are they tapping into? Yeah. You know, what's where's that from and, and how can you control it and what can you do? Well, you know, you got to find like a member of the Q continuum or something. Maybe that'll work with you and fair, whatever. Yeah. That's your business now. You've just discovered <laughs> something beyond outer space. Yeah. This uh, thing. But what you, what you do with the holodeck is... You make a Q virus, basically, because you've gotten data. Data is a sentient being that was like mechanical and became sentient. So why can't the holodeck become sentient? Now the holodeck is sentient, and it wants to test the beings that you know it's seen. But I don't think data became sentient. He was created as sentient, right? He's an artificial intelligence, so he's created. Lots of. I mean, there was lots of attempts to make sentient beings that didn't work out. Yeah, but also in Star Trek, you've had nomad and whatever other robots that are they are the listen i will do this so you know <laughs> yeah, I don't, there's lots of robots that want to test humans so the so the the danger uh, i want to say danger room it's the same damn thing the holodeck uh then gets some sort of sentience it knows what uh humans want it knows the pleasures they want it knows their desires because that's what they sure. they tell it it's their yep. dirty little secrets and it's like okay i want to test people and so there you go that's the thing it's like it it now brings people in and then occasionally we'll run a test and you never know when this virus is going to kick in and then it tests you and if it uh if you screw up you die hmm. and or maybe i'll blow up the ship if you try to you know uh get in here and and, and do this because i'm connected with the ship so there you are so yeah the the somehow the ship you know, comes comes alive through the holodeck because you've given it so much information as to what humans want. Yeah. So you play it that way instead of just, hi, I'm a godlike being that just showed up. No explanation. <laughs> and uh, here we go, here we go. I'm, yeah. I'm a freaking genie. You know, there's genies in space. Yeah. La, la, la. He's, just a, he's really just a story mechanic just to create interesting stories that they, they can't do by yeah. just the show itself. He's a shortcut. He's sure. I mean, I think he sends them to the Borg. That's the original contact with the Borg. Is yeah, it just moves the plot along. He just <laughs> shoots them, just shoots them forward in time, or not time, but in space, and then they meet up with this, you know, this incredibly complicated yeah. civilization. That's... Also, time travel is a problem when you when you introduce it in, into Star Trek as well. Yeah, because you've got trillions of beings in the universe. Someone's gonna be like doing time travel because you know, hell, these guys have done it. I don't know, seven times at least, and they're just like some people we know, you know, <laughs> and 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 they can alter the universe with this. So it yeah. means in in a universe full of trillions of people uh, or beings, 
yeah, someone's using time travel right now. So everything is being reset constantly. It has to be. Just the odds are. So uh, that's all screwed up. That doesn't make any sense. You know, that's a, that's a that's a factor that's just too large that you now have to, to to deal with. You can't be like, let's go to another planet. Oh, it's full of gangsters. That's neat. <laughs> oh, Appar- it's a Western world. Apparently, they could. Mm-hmm. My, yeah. I mean that. Like I say, that was a very good episode of that show, and then. It just felt like, it just felt like, I mean, the problem with shows like that, of course, is there's different writers and different levels of competence. And they would accept and, freelance scripts. Oh, really? From fans, yeah. Oh, interesting. Hmm. I should have sent in my... It's not too late. I'm, no, it's, there's it's too still late. Star Treks out there. Don't worry about it. And if, and if they won't accept it, there are fan Star Treks out there. You can do it if you want to. Mm-hmm. It would be interesting, though, to have uh, have a character on the show. I don't think you would need to make it a big part of the show, or even that would be that interesting to have it as a big part of the show, but to have a character who believes in, yeah, like this ancient religion, mm-hmm. like Christianity or whatever people want to do, Islam or whatever. Yeah, it's the one Scientologist. No. <laughs> Just the one. That seems less... Okay. It's less interesting. But yeah. Because Scientology is... It's hard to imagine that not... Surviving outside of its cult, like you know, like yeah. there, have been, that... there have been situations in Star Trek where I'm trying to remember what it was like. Who cries for Adonis? I think that was an episode of like the original series. Who cries for a donut? Uh, yeah, who cries for a donut. Uh, yeah. <laughs> tasty, tasty donut. Are there donuts? I haven't seen donuts in Star Trek. No, um, they're always making tea, and you're like, what? Why are you wasting all this energy? But there was one, yeah, where Adonis shows up and like runs them through, you know, the hoops. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no one goes, wait a minute, so those gods were real? Like, no one is like, my religion was wrong. It was the, it was these guys the whole time. This was it. No one ever, like, considers that as, as a possibility. Well, I mean, one one problem facing uh, people writing scripts that in the original, with the original shows would have been, you wouldn't have been allowed to yeah. have those sort of representations, uh, religious representations. It would, it would have been, there would have been tons of objections that you're making fun or mocking it or, you know, because, you know, it would only be interesting if you're questioning it in some way. Mm-hmm. And even if you come out at the end of the show and say, you know, it was all true or whatever, it still would raise the ire of various leagues of decency and whatnot. And you just don't want that. So. There was, I do remember, though, on the original Star Trek that occasionally, or at least once, uh, Bones uh, commented that uh, Spock looked like the devil. So, yeah. you know, there was that. Yeah. yeah. Just like, yeah, because, you know, Bones was an incredibly bigoted guy. He kept <laughs> talking about Spock's body a lot. <laughs> so, yeah, the one guy on your ship who's got a lot of prejudice and is the doctor. That's a shame. Was oh, he there to underline Spock's alienness? Is that what he was I guess doing? so, yeah. Green-blooded hog bot goblin. <laughs> like, why do you care about green blood? You're a doctor. That's your beef? Like you're disgusted by his blood color? That seems like a really weird thing for a doctor to have issues with. Was, Look that... at this type O freak. <laughs> Wasn't that uh, insisted that, that that conflict put in by the, the network? Because I felt like the show needed some sort of like conflict between characters in order to be interesting. Okay. Which Maybe. Is, it turns out it's not. So they were wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I guess so. You know, this guy saved your life like, you know, dozens of times and you've saved his life dozens of times. You still got a beef with each other? Like, what's yeah. your thing? I mean, in the, uh, we did a comedy play once called Star Trek and we ended up at the end having them like be in love and it's like, it made sense. Because this kind of <laughs> bickering is a real, I don't, mm. 
Well, they at least, want a, that. at least a one-sided love affair. Yeah. Uh, oh, I was going to say something. No, I can't remember what it was. Oh, I was going to say. I mean, part of the pleasure of Next Generation, as I understand it, or from what I when I watched it, is that they are a competent, competent professionals who get along with each other in like a professional way. Now, that seems like it's sort of appealing. It's kind of like watching yeah. CSI, the old CSI. Yeah. Where it's just like people doing their jobs. And okay, sure, there's the occasional like you know, rubbing someone the wrong way or a little bit of friction or whatever, but it's not presented as like the normal way you work. You know, normally you just do your job and you're competent and you do it and you do it successfully if you do it well. Right. You know, and that that's kind of that's sort of fun to watch. Uh, and yeah, it just feels like the idea that they need to have like some sort of conflict because I think that's wasn't that why that Doctor Pulaski was brought in and and the Bones or whatever her name was was. I can't remember the other doctor's name. Oh, Crusher, sure. Dr. Crusher left the show because they, they knew, felt they needed some sort of conflict. So oh, they brought okay. in Dr. Pulaski and all she did was like criticize Data mm. and also insist that his name was pronounced Data, which is correct. It should be pronounced Data. But, <laughs> yeah. yeah, she calls GIFs GIFs. Like, <laughs> oh, it just makes me so mad, so upset. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah false uh, forced conflict is uh, bullshitty. And it's usually the sign of like an early episode of a show. <laughs> you know, we see the first episode of like almost any show and everyone's just bickering for no reason. It's mm. just, yeah, I know. <laughs> I guess, you it, know, we used to go out. Yeah, who gives a shit? So is it a way of, is it a way of getting exposition across then when they're doing it like that? Do you think? Yeah, it's just, it's easy to write like a fight. Oh, okay. It's easy to write snark. Yeah, I guess it's hard to write. And, you know, people people just, getting along and yeah. moving on and doing stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's the difference between uh, The Office and Parks and, and Rec, or, or the first season of Parks and Rec, where everyone was kind of against the main character, and then they realized by season two, no, 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 everyone's trying to do their best, but yeah. they're all weirdos, <laughs> and, you know, and so they have, the, the conflicts come from, they all have different things that they believe, yeah. uh, but they're not mean to each other, yeah. for the most part, you know, except for one one person who they're mean to who's the nicest person so it's kind of funny that they're mean to him um and and yeah that's just it just makes things stronger you're rooting for them yeah that whole jerry thing drives mary crazy she she just can't enjoy the show because of that just kills her so yeah it's funny but uh, here's the thing here's the doesn't get it uh that kind of yeah the whole thing about time travel and cues kind of breaks star trek for me uh but here's here's the thing that breaks a lot of any ghost horror movie for me Showing the ghost. Yeah. What's that? Showing the ghost. Yeah, show, well, once you know that there's a ghost. Like, once, like, you've just, like, solidly gone ghost. Yeah. There's a ghost. Yeah. Um, or some kind of supernatural monster. Yeah. Everyone, like, researches the monster or the ghost in the house, but no one extrapolates that to, now we know that ghosts exist. <laughs> yeah. Now that we know that ghosts exist. Yeah. What are the odds this is the only ghost that has ever existed? Mm -hmm. Very rare. Yeah. So... What other ghosts are out there? And how did they deal with their ghosts? And no one ever looks out to find out like, oh, there was a ghost at this place. Well, what yeah. did they do with that ghost? Well, they did this. Oh, did that work? I don't know. Let's look up another ghost. And they did this. Oh, that worked. Okay, that's how you deal with that ghost. Instead, they just hyper-focus on the ghost they've got and, you know, usually get tricked by something. But yeah, no one ever goes, oh, yeah, 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 okay. If, if, if there are, if there is a clown monster in the sewers here, yeah. has there ever been a clown monster in anyone else's sewers through history? And what did they do? Or yeah. do we just have the one? Is that the thing? Because I would think probably there's more monsters if there is just this monster here. Yeah. Yeah, 
Yeah. And they never look, look into that. They just look into the one specific monster. Big mistake. Spread your <laughs> net. Spread your net, especially. I guess. I guess. I mean, it's excusable in the sense that they are kind of dealing with the situation. You know, like, it's not like they have, like, time to relax. They're, they're trying to, they're, somebody's trying to kill them. Mm-hmm. So it seems like, I don't know, well, maybe, I guess you're right. If they'd spread their net, they'd have a better chance of finding a possible solution that way, I guess. Or find, discovering that there is no solution, and then, good luck. Well, let's say, okay, so say you have termites in your house. And, like, all okay. of a sudden you see, like, oh, my God, there's, there's these bugs, and they're eating my door. Yes. Okay, I'm going to look into the history of this house. Okay. Or you look and see if termites are a thing. Yeah. And see how people have dealt with termites and if there's such a thing as termite poison yeah. that's out there in the world and how people have like exterminated their termites. That's a thing. Instead of do a deep dive on mm-hmm. the termites in your house, but keep all your research tight to your own house. That's that's bad termite removal. You've <laughs> got to find out what's going on in the world with, sure. uh, with these bugs that you've got. You don't even know they're called termites, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. No one ever does that. I mean, in The Conjuring... Thinking about ghosts, they're also dealing with a witch who owned the house in the past. Okay. So, I mean... Is this one that's got the couple from uh, from Amityville Horror? No. Okay. The Conjuring? Yeah. No, that's with the those phony baloney uh, Ghostbusters. Right, uh, right. Fred and whatever. So they're not Lorraine, part of the Conjuring. They're part of the Annabelle world. They're part of... They are... The, they are, Well, I would say they're above the... I mean, Annabelle is sort of an adjunct to their world. Well, they've got Annabelle. Yeah. Yeah, they've got her in a case, so they're definitely part of her world. Well, she's part of their world. Okay, yeah, she's in she's in their house. Yeah. Yeah, she's part of their world. She's in their basement. Yeah. Yeah, okay. There's no, there's no uh, you know, oh, sort of related. No, she's, <laughs> no, I didn't mean, she's I didn't in the damn basement. That, I, didn't mean it that way. I just felt like you are kind of uh, giving Annabelle a lot of credit there. So okay, well, I couldn't, my, I couldn't my go question, along with that. My question is, the Conjuring yeah. world, mm-hmm. is that, what, what else is the Conjuring world connected to horror movie-wise? The Nun. Okay, The Nun. And then Annabelle. I think that's it. Wait, then they are connected to that world. They're on the same universe. Yeah, yeah. I didn't disprove. I was just just saying that Annabelle is like part as part of their world. Not okay. They don't live in the Annabelle. So in the Conjuring, yeah, film, yeah, do they show up that couple? Oh yeah. Okay, they're there. All right, good, good, good. So when they're in all three of the Conjuring, okay, cool, cool, cool. So they show up. Yeah. So there's a Ed, Ed and Lorraine. Ed and Lorraine, good for them. I I I know actually a couple named Ed and Lorraine. It's on. (laughs) I wonder if it was them. Huh. Maybe so. Weird. They might be my. Uh, were sister. they were they big liars who uh, pretended they're ghosts? In you know houses? what? Uh, I'm not going to get too into it. <laughs> but but they're my sister's uh, godparents. Okay. I should look up and, and see if they are. Yeah, them. yeah. Okay, fair enough. Ed and Lorraine Warren was their last. So Lorraine Ed and Lorraine. Name. So yeah. Ed and Lorraine show up. Okay. And uh, I guess they're the ones who say a witch lived here, right? Yeah. They do the research and they're like, "Oh, look, a witch lived here." A witch lived here. Now, my yeah. question to Ed and Lorraine, yes, <laughs> then is yeah. not tell me more about this witch. Yeah. Uh, Nick's on that. That's yeah. not not necessary. Sure. What I want to know is. Who else has had witches? <laughs> okay. And what did they do to get rid of the witches in their house? Yeah. Because other people have probably successfully de-witched their house. Well, that's, that's And if what they it, have not, yeah. get the fuck out of the house because you're not going to de-witch this house that's, either. That's why you called in those the Warrens because that's their job. Witch busters. They're, 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 yeah, they're supernatural busters. Okay. That's their job. So they know of other witchings that have occurred. They they have, yeah, they, they have strong ties to... There's nothing new about this to them. No. Okay. Here's here's my. I mean, question. they already have Annabelle in a case at the beginning. Oh, of, I know. I've established that. Um, okay. So my my other question, because these guys fascinate me. Who do? Uh, Ed and Lorraine. 
They fascinate you? It's fascinate me. In the move in the movie version of them, not the real life no, people. No, the real, uh, no, no not the real this life. This is garbage. Version. I don't care about that. Yeah. Um, okay, so Ed and Lorraine, mm-hmm. do they ever do an origin story of Ed and Lorraine of like what when was their first uh witch ghost uh demon what have you? Like I don't think so. And were they witching and demoning before they met or <laughs> Did they meet and then uh, witches and I demons think, entered? Their I life? think together they're they're a team because she's the sensitive, like the psychically sensitive one, right? Who sees things, and, and Ed is just like a blundering goof, and uh, she's the one who's uh, you know can can see whatever, right? Are you looking at the actual people, or are you just looking at the movie? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I'm looking at the actual people. Okay. Yeah. Just want to find Edward out. was a self-taught and self-professed demonologist. Yes. Of course he's self-taught. I was going to say, there's very very little demonology taught in any university. I went to Harvard for demonology. Yeah. You know, what do you... Went to my do? local community college for my degree. And Lorraine uh, was a clairvoyant and light trance medium. Mm. Uh, yeah. 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 Okay. But yeah, it doesn't say... Does it say how they met? Oh, no, he had an affair. <laughs> Of course he did. Oh no! Oh no! Ugh, that's very yeah, it's gross. It's <laughs> not good. What happened? Uh, I was with someone who was also underage when it started. She had a forty-year-long uh, uh, sexual relationship with Ed. We don't need to say sexual. If you're together for forty years, you know. Oh, wh- but did you do it? <laughs> it's like yeah, forty years. It's fine. Uh, but uh, yeah, they met when she was underage. Ugh, gross. Um, yeah. What's that matter, though? Like, I mean, the underage thing, for sure. But that it's an affair. Yeah. I don't know. You're fighting demons. <laughs> and you know, uh, yeah. he also had a little on the side. Yes. Like, so, okay, well, you know. Of course he did. He's, he's a con man. What do you think's going to happen? What do you think they're going to do? They did train other uh, demonologists. Oh, I'm glad. glad including uh, David uh, Considine. Sounds like he really... Yeah, oh, John Considine? It's very close to that, isn't it? So, but it's <laughs> difficult to say. And they also trained their nephew, uh, John Zaffis. Okay. And you know who I blame for that? Uh, uh, John's parents. Like, they knew yeah. that, you know, sis and bro were demonologists. So yeah. they're hanging out with their nephew. It's like, listen, none of that demonology bullshit. Yeah. Knock it off. We want we want Joe to become a, an accountant. No, he's going to be... You know the difference, though? Yeah. He is not self-taught. Like That's them. true. Yeah, he is. He has learned from the from the masters. Yeah. Uh, in the movies, though, it's real. You know, so it's fun in the movies. Although the th- a third one, which I've not watched through, I started watching it and then kind of got bored. But um, it's uh, yeah. It's, it's, Here's the thing. The first uh, one's fun. This is this is where this gets really bad. It's like skeptics Perry Dangelis. And Stephen Novella okay. uh, investigated the Warrens' evidence of some of these things. Yeah. And they d- described it as, and I, I hate saying this, blarney. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty harsh. There's no need. <laughs> There's no need for that. That's a damn shame. Blarney. <laughs> That's just a whole bunch of blarney. <laughs> so, okay. I like the idea of them, like, it's so, it's... It's beyond, like, in the movie, uh-huh. in the first Conjuring movie where Annabelle is, like, the... Like, I think horror movies... Personally, I, I like a horror movie that opens with, like, something kind of scary that's maybe unrelated to the to the actual telling of the story. Okay. But kind of sets the tone, you know, and, and it's kind of creepy or whatever, and you're, then you're kind of already already creeped out. And so when the creepiness starts, you're, you're all primed for it. 
And that's basically the Annabelle sequence at the beginning of the first movie, The Conjuring. It's just a, it just sort of quickly retells the story of, of Annabelle. But of course, he uses a, a doll that's in no way a Raggedy Ann doll. It's like this kind of horrific doll that makes no sense that anyone yeah. would make. Although in the Annabelle, the second Annabelle movie, they show her being Annabelle given... Creation. They show her being given to someone, and she's, she's like, you know, sweet looking or whatever. It's it's through t- over time that the doll becomes more and more uh, evil looking. So it it starts to, its outside starts to resemble its its uh, okay possession or whatever. Here's here's how I would end an Annabelle movie. Okay. Okay. So the whole thing is like you know it's creepy doll, it's creepy yeah. doll, creepy doll, creepy doll. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then finally they uh, <laughs> they put the doll into yeah. whatever the glass case is. And uh, and then there's something that happens and the doll's eyes glow red for a second. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like it's a girl, because it's a little girl in the outfit, mm. and she she goes out of the case. And then as she walks out the door, you see like uh, Ed and Lorraine, and then they're they're dolls. And they, they, she's, she's turned them into dolls, and that's how she escapes. Is she yeah. swaps places? And okay. They become the dolls for a while. Okay. And that's how you do it. All right. Yeah. And who saves them? Their their nephew John Geppetto. <laughs> Geppetto steps in. The blue fairy comes by. Yeah, the blue fairy comes by. That's handy. So That's in the uh, Conjuring world, yes, it goes. Okay, it goes. The Conjuring. Yeah. Then Annabelle. Yeah. Conjuring two. Annabelle creation. Okay. The nun. Yeah. The curse of La La Lorna. La Llorona. La Llorona. Llorona. Annabelle comes home. Yeah. The Conjuring. The devil made me do it. Mm-hmm. Coming up, huh? uh, we've got the nun two. Okay. More nonsense. <laughs> uh, the Crooked Man. Yeah. Yeah, that's the Crooked Man. Okay. And there's been uh, f- there's been five shorts. Okay. Which are the Nurse, the Confession, What's Wrong with Mom, Blunt's Lullaby, and Innocent Souls. Huh. Yeah. The shorts may be interesting. I mean, the nice thing about a short is that you can just you don't have to like resolve anything. You can just have like a kind of a quick ending. It's sort of like you remember like that Lights Out. Um, did you ever see that Lights Out video? With the with the woman going to bed at, and she turning off her light and there's like some kind of weird yes. shape down the hallway. Yeah. And then they made a movie out of it. And the movie's terrible. No, no. It's because a short. It's a short. And it's it's yeah. a fun it's a fun thing. And yeah, when you start like, stretching it out and it's going, Well, this is how it happened, and you're just like, Yeah. And without saying it, there was it. also a nice short about like a kid who was just like, There's something under the bed. Remember mm-hmm. that one? There was a kid who was saying there's something under the bed? I don't remember that one. Okay, I'll tell you about that later. It's it's very short and it's a quick gag. Yeah, I would say gag, but it's a horror gag. There's a gag. Yeah, it's, it's a, a good gag, gag. Yeah, you know, and it's the same same deal. I think I think you can call a lot of horror twists gags. Yeah, you know, it's like it's the it's a switch around. So my question to you then, because I got infinite questions about Ed and Lorraine, mm-hmm. uh, and always will, uh, is uh, so where does the Amityville horror take place in this timeline? Did they already Amityville horror before The Conjuring? And oh, did they that? deal with Amityville Horror? Yeah. That's, it's it's that's not like, mentioned in these films. I, I believe so, it's, isn't it? It's not mentioned in the films because they don't own that property. So they can't talk about it in, in the film. Okay. So they never they never mention Amityville I at think all. Amityville is their house. Am I no, wrong about that? No, I don't think that's the case. Okay, maybe. No, no, there are people who were, okay. uh, bought bought a house and couldn't, and it was a bit of a lemon, so they concocted a story to... to uh, Pump up the volume, as it were. Okay, maybe I'm maybe I'm confusing. Oh no, no, there we go. Uh, the Warrens are known for their involvement in the Amityville Horror. Oh yeah, in which George and Kathy Lutz claimed their house was haunted, yeah. and then they showed up and mm-hmm. thing. So okay, yeah. So uh, in okay, so their investigations. 
uh, it came after Annabelle, and it came after something called the Perone family. Okay. Uh, which is, oh, it's the Conjuring. So it goes Annabelle, Conjuring, Amityville. Okay. Then uh, Conjuring 2, because okay. that was when the Enfield poltergeist okay. was there. Uh, then the Conjuring. Uh, yeah, so that's how that goes. Okay. I thought they said a Smurf thing, but it was the Smurl family. <laughs> okay, very good. The Smurl one. family. All they say is Smurl. 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 Oh, I wonder how much you could sell uh, Annabelle for. What, the uh, Raggedy Ann doll is yeah. in, a, in a case? Yeah. Like the actual doll. Yeah. Like it feels like having, I don't know if the museum still exists now. They've both passed. I yeah. believe they have both passed. Uh, uh, but yeah. But they now, still have to keep it in a case. Of course. Because it could, es- it it could, could have, escape. It could escape. And then what? Well, here's my... Okay, so, sorry. I'm going to be Johnny Questions. <laughs> Again, this is... I, I. The way I look at this stuff is never specifics. Yeah. I think of general. Yeah. So, all right. What do we got here? We got a possessed Raggedy Ann doll. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. A possessed Raggedy Ann doll. Yeah, it's yeah. an evil Raggedy Ann doll. Okay. Well, you know what my next question is? Well, first of all, is there is there a possessed Raggedy Andy doll? Because these things come in pairs. <laughs> so where yeah, is... that was the inspiration for Chucky. No shit. No, actually, that's my buddy. But okay, fair enough. Um, but have there ever been any other possessed Raggedy Ann dolls is my question. Mm. Let's do a search and find <laughs> out if this is a specific doll that for some reason yeah. attracts demons. Mm. Uh, but they never do that. They never look for the Raggedy uh, Andy. <laughs> no, they don't. They're a pair. Yeah, yeah. they come. To, they come together. But in the, the in the movies, it's not a Raggedy Ann doll. So if you had a, if you had a possessed serial mascot dolls, yeah, and it was uh, Snap and Crackle were murdering people. Yes, and then you ca- caught them. Yeah, and you put them in uh, boxes. You so said, that, "Oh, it's all solved." We've yeah, that's right. We got Snap and we got Crackle. Our hands. Case, closed. Case closed. Case closed. Time to time to go to sleep. <laughs> What is that pitter patter of tiny feet? Yeah, that must be my cat. Pop 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 pop. Then your cat turns into a tiger and it's Tony. What? Yes, you would be very silly. That murder is great. <laughs> um, it's funny. We we had dinner the other night. We you and I. You and I. We had dinner right. together with some friends the other okay. night. All right, we've had many a dinner. I understand. And it was interesting because I felt like a man alone. And that I really like watching horror movies, and everyone else is kind of like shrug <laughs> or nope, not for me. Mm-hmm. Like Lisa will not watch them at all. Like I can't. I did show her a little bit of Suspiria the other day, <laughs> just because I wanted her to see like the look of it. Because right. I think it's really an interesting looking film. Like that's what attracted me to, to it at first was I just happened to. It was a Halloween night, and I was I was manning the door, but I turned on the television so I could you know kind of have that on while I was waiting for kids to come by. Because we live in a cul-de-sac, so there's great gaps between kids coming. And so I started watching this movie, which I maybe I'd heard of, but I didn't know at all. I didn't know anything about it. And just right. started watching it. And it was this crazy movie with drumming and people going, oh, witch, and yelling and, and all those things happening. And all the music's crazy. And all the scenes are weirdly lit. And I was like, well, this is a crazy looking movie. And I started watching it, really enjoying it. So I wanted Lisa to see that. So I was showing her turn on. And I, just, I forgot where it got really scary. <laughs> and so... the this woman's looking through the window and then this arm comes through and grabs her head and pushes her against the glass. And I turn it off. She's like, oh, why did, it make, why did you make me watch that? I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I, just, I was going to turn it off before that happened just so you could. Yeah. I just wanted you to get a sense of like how the movie looked and the cool architecture and, and everything. But oh, well, now I feel like a jerk. 
When did you... Uh, okay, so you're a little kid. Yeah. And uh, are you watching horror movies as a little kid? I did watch them as a little kid. I mean, we've talked before about my favorite episode of Fan- Fantasy Island, which was kind of like a horror episode with, sure. a, with a dream that had like a scary clown and, and stuff like that in it. And that was genuinely terrifying to me as a kid. And, but I think it was more like when I was... 10 or 11, I would, wa- you know, I would watch pretty m- mild horror movies on right. television. Okay, so, but when you watch your Fantasy Island. Yeah. So you watch it, it was horrifying to you. Yeah. Episode ends. Yeah. What happens next? Do you have nightmares about it? Do you feel scared no, to go into No, I don't really have end? nightmares. You know that, so. Okay. I don't really relive you, my... So, yeah, so you, you don't have anything in your real life that you connect to that, that you then go, oh, now you feel weird about going into the basement or... The attic. Or oh going no, out at night not at all. Or... No, my mom was afraid of the dark, and so she would send. And my dad, our house was weird. Our first house was weird, in that when you came in the door, you had to walk through a, a, a room to turn the light on. So when you came in, you had to walk through the dark to to this room. So my mom would make me go into the house yeah. and turn the light on because she was afraid to go in. She right. was afraid of the dark, and I wasn't. So and I and I'm not. Like Eve was is afraid of the dark. Like she cannot. When she was a kid, she could not go up the stairs from the basement without keeping the lights on behind her. Oh, sure, sure. Because you got to see what's coming, falling do. up the stairs, obviously. Absolutely, you do. Which I don't really, it's, it's in, I don't understand it. I don't, I, don't, yeah. I don't think that way about things. Yeah. I still do. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I could freak myself out if I want to. Okay. And I did do that as a kid. I imagined, sort of jokingly, that there was like a, a killer robot in a carport. It was a very dark carport that I would walk past my way home from my friends at night. And at first I just thought of that as, oh, that, wouldn't that be weird if there's something like that? And then somehow that became, oh, there is one in there. <laughs> and I sort of scurry past that uh, car- carport when I went and walked past it. You know, and even though rationally I know that I just made that up and it doesn't make any sense, you some, you kind of freak yourself out so you scurry past that place. Right. But, so it sounds like you can compartmentalize things in a way that uh, other people, some other people can't. And like to yeah. me, to me, like once I've watched a horror movie, it's in my head mm. forever. Like yeah. I've still got scenes in my head from horror movies, you know, that I've watched still. Yeah. Like, and they're disturbing and they're not pleasant <laughs> to have in my head. Yeah. And I can't get rid of them. And there, there you go. You know, but it's and and, and they still have that kind of impact mm-hmm. in me and that disturbingness. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like it's not very pleasant. Though I do like the I. It's inter- I mean, I'm interested in a mystery, and I'm interested in a in a something that's like scary but i can't then turn it off i have no ability to do that like Hmm. afterwards yeah and so i know there's going to be nightmares that will follow i know i'm going to see things out of the corner of my eye i know the experience is going to continue past my point where i can control it and so it's uh, it's not a pleasant experience on the whole for me yeah yeah. it'd be like riding a roller coaster and knowing you're going to be nauseous for like a week afterwards (laughs) yes you know the roller coaster is fine but i don't like the after effect yeah 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 no it doesn't really affect me that way in fact I don't really get that scared watching them anyway. Well, you don't have... Yeah, you know you compartmentalize them, right? So yeah. you know when the fear is going to go away. And if yeah. you know when the fear is going to go away, you're fine. Yeah. It's like when you're a kid and you're scared of something and then you go to see your parents and they hug you and like the fear is gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, that buttoned it. You're yeah. fine. You're okay. You're and safe. I, and I find most horror movies kind of blow it at some point. And then the scary scariness is gone for me. Hmm. So I'll be like, oh, this is really scary. What's going to happen? Kind of like The Conjuring is a good example of that, where, oh, this is quite, this is scary. Like, this is, you know, they're doing really good. And, and then Lorraine falls down into the basement and there's ghosts in there. And the ghosts really can't do anything. So they're just kind of ghosts milling around while she's trying to get out. And you're just like, 
well, this is not really that scary. You kind of not really that scared. Right. But, Whereas I think the, the way you make something like that scary is, and I don't think this would be the case for you, uh, it's because you watch, you watch a, a mystery or you watch a movie and you watch it. You don't think what happens next in your head. Yeah. You're yeah. not a step ahead. Yeah. Because uh, that's just not the way you enjoy things. But if you're someone who uh, watches things and is that one step ahead, mm-hmm. then you're thinking of whatever the next horror is or what that thing in the basement is. And so it's tapping into you and you're doing the work and you're making the fear. Yeah. And it no, you're making the fear out of what your worst fear is. Yeah. So so it's, well, it's it's using you, and then yeah. when you leave the theater, it's still that part of your brain is still turned on sometimes. Yeah. But for you, it is not. So you can walk home and go, let's grab a burger, <laughs> and like I'm not going home from watching Nope and going like I want a Whopper. I'm yeah. not. Yeah. I'm going like I need to sit down for a while. Yeah. I need to like walk around. I need to put my mind somewhere so else. It's, it's interesting because Nope, I didn't find it at all. Whereas scary I've got a scene from Nope least. that still disturbs me to yeah, this day. Yeah. That makes me like, you know, I did very much enjoy the movie, but there was a scene that was so disturbing that I kind of consider, would I want to have seen that movie if I had a choice? Yeah. Now, knowing that, I don't know. I don't know if I would have seen it because it was so disturbing to me. And that's interesting because my complaint about that scene, though, was that it wasn't disturbing enough, that it needed to be more disturbing. it was completely disturbing. (laughs) It's one of the worst things I've ever seen. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's horrible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's like the movie either trusts you to take take on the lifting yourself or yeah you know we're going to show you something and you accept yeah. what we're showing you it's funny like something that i find really unsettling is to not be able to see someone's face there's a movie directed by ty west who also directed x and the pearl which i'm trying to see but have not successfully been able to see lately um uh, there's a scene in a movie called the house of the devil where the camera just tracks from the kitchen into the living room and there's a girl standing at the window looking at the window and you, she doesn't turn around the entire mm-hmm. long tracking sequence and you don't know what, what's going on. And so you get this mounting dread of that she's going to turn around and it's going to be horrible. Yeah. So I am sort of le- leaping ahead yeah, there. Yeah, I am yeah. like thinking ahead. So I do that. It's just that the movie either succeeds in that moment or it fails. Or it doesn't even do it. Like in this movie, she just turns around and, she's no, and it's just a girl. Yeah. And that's fine. It's not, not like the movie was fooling me because I, I just was one who was putting that into the film. But, you know, if she turned around and she was monstrous in some way or something, something like that, then that's disturbing. Yeah. But then if she does that and then she goes to the bank or she gets on the phone and she's complaining about her cable bill, then I feel like they've wrecked the horror. You know what I mean? Like you have to, you just can't introduce it and that's it. You have to keep ratcheting up that tension until you get to the end of the movie. And if you let the tension drop, then you are letting me relax. Well, to me me it is. You're losing me. And again, a lot of like what I do is I write jokes and, and, and such. And sometimes if you're doing a play or something, you've got to like balance things out. And like, you know, you think like, oh, just make things as funny as possible through the whole thing. It's like, Mm. you can't, you can't keep things at that level. You've got to, you know, play it at different beats. And at certain points, you've got to tease the audience where they think something's going to be something. Yeah. And, and then it's going to be something else. And it's like, all right, now we've got to relax it for a bit (laughs) because you know, something big's coming. Yeah. So you can't have something right before then. And it, it's very, very similar. It feels like to horror. Sure. Sure. Yeah, but I mean, you can have moments of of quiet, but it, but you still can have an ease in that. You know, you still yeah. have a tension that's there. Let's say the Conjuring, the kids are playing in the house and, and are goofing around, but you know the house is haunted. 
So everything they're doing, like even if they're not aware of it, you're aware of it. And so everything they're doing has this double meaning to you because they are playing in a dangerous situation, even if they don't realize it. Yeah, it's also that it's door that slams you, on its they own. They know you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. With, I would just maybe think of something with like uh, comedy, which I wonder if it's the same thing with horror. It's like with comedy, something that people don't often take into account is every joke isn't going to make a person laugh. Yeah. And if and if the other people around you are laughing and you're not laughing, that can make. If I'm not saying specifically you, but like <laughs> I'm saying you as generally some uh-huh. people. I'm still uh, thinking it personally. Please do. Uh, but it makes you mad. Like if, if makes if, you mad that you're not laughing and yeah 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 laughing, yeah oh, really? that's something that really is a factor that people don't take into account, which is um, if you're not laughing yeah. and other people are laughing, that's infuriating hmm. to a certain group of people. I was sure. just watching a video of a stand-up comedian. She was doing a set and uh, and then someone was getting really mad in the audience. Okay, and you know they started insulting her and then him throwing a beer at her and she like really in a badass way picked up the beer and drank it. And went, Woo! <laughs> <laughs> but it's like I've seen that so often, which yeah. is everyone's laughing, and this isn't funny, and they're laughing, and it makes them mad. And yeah. I think it's because you know that's dangerous. If everyone's laughing and you're not laughing, you're in danger. That's a danger to you. Mm. There's something in your head that like goes goes off like that, mm. and it just it just makes you so upset. Yeah, you know, it's I think there's a lot of the internet that's like that with like different shows or whatever that people seem to be enjoying, and they've got to like tell them no, it's. This is a bad show, and I gotta tell you why. And it's yeah. like, no, no, we're enjoying it. No, you're not. And this is why, and you're not. But I wonder if that's the case with horror as well, if, to any degree. If like you were in a theater and people were going, ah, ah, and you're not scared, yeah. if that would just be, if you just end up getting mad at that, or if you just go, not for me, yeah, maybe, or not working for me, not working for me, yeah. or would you just think you dumb dumbs? <laughs> You're suckers. You're easy, easy marks. No, I don't think I don't think that at all. I mean, I I think if you're a person maybe who begrudges other people their fun, hmm. maybe that's what would bother you more. Well, normally what you'd say with comedy is you go, "No, oh, these are these are easy laughs." Mm-hmm. You know, you're laughing at something easy, or you're laughing at something stupid, or yeah. you're laughing at this, or laugh. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I don't find funny, but I can see that there's a room full of people and they're laughing, and I can't deny. Yeah. Well, it's funny because people are laughing. Yeah, you're, you're correct. These are jokes that don't work for me, but they work. They work for you, and that's that's what it is. But it it, it really does infuriate people to see people laughing, uh, you know, around you that, uh, and you're not laughing. Oh, so mad. Um, when I went with the girls to see Barbarian, Eve actually left the theater during the opening scene of the film because she was so disturbed by it. Sure, sure. That she had to walk out. I was completely unaffected by it. Because I'm a man, and this scene was designed to to dis, to um, make women tense and okay. feel uneasy. Because what the director did was he, I guess he found this thing of like seven, I, was, I guess he was reading some book about the fact that, um, you know, we, we want to please other people. And yeah. so we'll overlook warning signals. Okay, yeah, yeah. You know, it, because we don't want to offend that other person. It's kind of like, another thing I love about that... David Fincher version of the the man with it or the girl with the dragon tattoo is there's a scene at the end of the film where Daniel Craig is invited by the serial killer into his house and even though he knows this guy is the killer he's too polite to say no and so he goes into the house and puts himself in danger 
And it's an interesting human reaction, right? I'll, I'll just insert that there's a Gina Davis book out now called Dying from Politeness that sure. has a story that's similar to that. Yeah, where, yeah. where her family was driving with a with a 99-year-old at the wheel and he was going to drive into traffic and uh, no one was saying anything out of politeness. <laughs> and then finally, like, his wife went a little to the left and then he, he drove to the left, but they were all going to die. <laughs> yeah. And then no one wanted to be rude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What yeah. crazy. So... I guess the director um, was reading this book and it was listing these things that women ignore that are warning signs. Yeah. And so he took all of these things and he put them into the scene at the opening of the movie where this woman arrives at this house at a uh, bed, uh, Airbnb to discover that someone has also rented it the same night. So it's a guy played by Bill. Oh, he's the guy who played the clown. The Penny. Penny. Uh, Skarsgård. Bill Skarsgård. Yeah. So, you know, he's a big guy, kind of a little, can, can make himself look a little odd. You know, he, yeah. doesn't, he has a thing he can do with his eyes. It's kind of weird. And so it's this young woman who comes to this house with this other guy who, or this guy who's there. And he's like, you know, doing all these sort of things that are, would make a woman uneasy, you know, saying things like, oh, don't worry, I'm not going to poison your drink. Just stuff like that, right? You know yeah, what I mean? Like yeah, those sort yeah, of things yeah, that yeah, are kind of, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> and the, yeah. And so to me, I'm just like watching it because I... This is not scary to me. This would be terrifying to yeah. the girls, obviously, right? And that's why Eve had to walk away because all these things that this girl was missing, she's very sensitive to because Eve is a real people reader. Yeah. And so she just couldn't take it. She had to walk out. And also, I'm not a very good people reader. So even, even if it was scary to me, I might have, I probably miss all the, the signals I should be picking up. So, um, yeah, it was, it was interesting because uh, I was just saying that when we were leaving the theater, I was like, I was saying, oh, the movie didn't do one thing that I love a movie to do, which is to have a scary scene at the beginning to kind of set the tone. And they're like, that was this terrifying sequence. <laughs> so I was like, what? what? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, a th- that's an interesting thing, But too. I don't begrudge them Yeah, they're sca- that they're scared. I don't, I'm not angry about anything. I feel like that's very effective that it worked in that yeah, way. Yeah, that's a, that's a thing, too, with comedy and horror is uh, specificity. It's like when you get specific, you lose... Uh, some people on the outside, yeah. But you get the people in the tighter focus, and you really get the people in the tighter focus. So, <laughs> what do you want to get that general yeah. thing? Well, then yeah. throw a cat across the screen real fast. <laughs> <laughs> just got spooked by a cat. Yeah. Uh, but if it's something really specific, of just like, are you scared of a bunch of like holes tightly pressed together? What? Yes. What? Why did you bring that up? <laughs> well, that's the way this room. And no, god damn it! And there's people going, "What? Yeah. Who gives a shit? It's a bunch of holes." Like, good, 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 good. Yeah. 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 There's a lot of things that the woman reacts to that the guy wouldn't understand. That guy doesn't understand. Yeah. You know, like he doesn't see it, and it's an it's a it's a very uh, I don't want to go into it too much because it's a very good movie and I think people should see it. Mm-hmm. It is it is scary, obviously, but. It is a. It is worth watching. There's there's moments of humor as well that kind of kind of take, sort of momentarily alleviate the the general unease. Yeah. But uh, it's no, very people good. people. There's humor in life. So that makes <laughs> things a little bit more realistic. And then yeah yeah you know then you have a scene where someone's eating food and all of a sudden now you're into it because you can sort of taste the food in your mouth and so now they've like opened up a certain sense memory thing in your head and now something horrible happens it's like oh god damn it you open up the sense memory thing in my head now i'm feeling this more you jerks <laughs> yeah here eat this lemon okay mm, good yeah. lemon stab oh why did that hurt more now in my to me because you opened up the senses that's funny. I remember going to see Poltergeist when I was, whenever it came out, when I saw it in the theater. And it's how much I enjoyed that film. 
because it is it is like a roller coaster. Like that's the thing that like, we've mentioned many times, in the sh- or I've talked about is I just don't understand like the disconnect between enjoying a roller coaster and not enjoying a horror movie. Because to me, they're both similar emotional feelings mm-hmm. of you know unease, dreading the moment, dreading. The- but you're safe at the end. Dreading the yeah, but you are. You're just sitting in a theater. Nothing. There's no, you know, assuming the theater is safe. There's no one going to jump out from behind the and attack you. You're but just watching something on the screen. You can't sleep that night because you're going to have nightmares about. It, then you're sure. not safe at the end. Well, that's that's yeah, that's something. That's totally the different. that's the beauty of uh, of uh, like the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Mm. It's just like you know, if you have a nightmare, then about Freddy Krueger. <laughs> That was that was that was a nightmare. <laughs> like, oh, that's real. Ah, oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah, gonna, yeah. You're yeah. not going to die in in the dream and die in real life, but still, and all, you know, there there you go. It is weird that we've got a thing in our head that can just randomly reproduce anything in the world holodeck style at night. <laughs> you know, I just again, don't remember. Don't remember that's the case. thing. You don't remember your dreams, yeah. So you got no problem with that, yeah. So that's not an issue for you either. I do sometimes. I did wake up from a terrible dream uh, a week or so ago. In my dream. Uh, Lisa asked for a divorce mm. and I woke up and I was like just filled with like whatever feeling you'd have if you're, yeah. your wife suddenly with unexpectedly who you know whom you love very much asks you for divorce and you're just a feeling of what why what did I do what's going on my life is over so I woke up with those feelings because uh, I was still feeling my feelings in the dream yeah that's not unusual for me but most most of the time I don't have those sort of uh... and if I do there can be very pleasant too you know I mentioned before the time I had a long conversation with my mother-in-law after she passed away. I just had a dream where we talked. Yeah. And I woke up and I could smell her and I could still like feel her, Yep. you know, and, and that feeling I had talking to her, you know. And so that's a nice thing to wake up to and kind of sit in, you know. But most of the time, yeah, most of the time my dreams are just nonsense. And when I wake up, I'm, and usually in my dreams, in the dream itself, I will realize it's a dream and stop it. I'll be like, oh, this is a dream. Why am I, why am I so worried about this? Right. So... Do you, uh, okay, so say you're going to, say, Europe next week. Yeah. When you're in Europe, will you have uh, dreams in Europe? Will that wake up your brain a bit and, like, uh, goose up the dreams, or does that not affect anything? No, I don't remember me, being that to way. To me, 100%. Like, really, yeah? Like, really, really, like, I'm going to have really, really intense dreams because okay. I'm in another environment, and I'm getting, like, a lot of uh, different sensory input. And there's, there's tension there and stuff like that. There's, with there's travel tension, stuff, but also yeah. you're seeing things. Yeah. And I think a lot of what dreams are is processing what you've been through through mm-hmm. the day. Sure. And because you've processed so much more than you normally would in a day, yeah. uh, then your dreams get a little bit more. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and they go to town. Also, you're probably, like, a little jet lagged. So you're, so sure. your, uh, you know, melatonin levels are shooting at different uh, times. Yeah, yeah. And you wouldn't normally be in bed at this time, but you are. And then also you just saw this, yeah. and also you were flying in a tube over the ocean, and that's weird. Yeah, you know, for uh, quite a few hours. Yeah, oh, yeah. No, I mean, uh, I, I don't know. I, I guess I think. Well, one thing, I sleep very deeply. I don't know how. Do you? Are you a deep sleeper? or Are you a light sleeper? Can be. Yeah. Can be. And then sometimes lately it's been light, lighter. Okay. Yeah. I'm a very there's very been deep. more things that I've had to immediately wake up for and yeah. deal with. Yeah. I'm a very, very deep sleeper, and I can sleep through almost any kind of cal- calamitous noise. I've had people fall on me when I'm sleeping and not woken <laughs> up. So, and also, I it was kind of like, uh, I think it was Monday morning? Monday morning, I, I had a long sleep-in, which I don't normally do. Like, Saturday, I woke up at 7. Sunday, I woke up at 7. So, what's a long sleep-in? I slept till 11 on Monday. Okay, all right. I did. I, mean, I went to bed at 3, so I was like super, okay. super late, but... But I normally, if I went to bed at three, I'd still get up at seven. 
Okay. You know, it's four hours is good. But I, but that you needed some sleep, and you got some sleep. Good. But I fell asleep on the couch watching watching a movie at three in the morning, which I should I I knew I shouldn't have started it. It was I was like, oh, it's three. Why am I going to watch another movie? And it's like, oh, I'll just watch a little bit of it. But uh, I woke up on the couch, and uh, Reese was hungry, and uh, and Albert was hungry. They were both hungry, so. I got up, fed them. So Albert ate Reese. <laughs> yeah, good luck, Albert. Uh, <laughs> so I fed Al, fed Reese, let Al out. He came back in, I closed the door. And then I just went back to bed and slept. And then I went back to the couch, I should say, because I didn't want to go in and wake Lisa up. Right. So I just slept in the couch. I had to stay in the when couch. she's up, she's up. Exactly. And so then she woke up about 7.30, and, which is good, because she doesn't usually sleep in either. So then... So then I'm like, oh, you got up, good up. So I went down the hall. I talked to her a bit, and then I went down the hall and crawled into bed and slept till eleven. But yeah, it doesn't matter. I can wake up and I used to wake up, walk the, you know, get the girls up, feed them breakfast, walk them to school, and then come home and go back to sleep again and right. sleep for a bit longer. Yeah, I just I have no problem falling asleep. Or I don't know. I just yeah, I'm probably because I'm constantly exhausted. So my body's just like, oh, thank God, you're laying down. <laughs> Let me sleep. So yeah, it's uh, I don't know. I'll I'll report. I'll report later how. Uh, what kind of dreams I have in Europe? Sure, sure. So we're uh, yeah we're going into Belgium uh, next uh, next week. Uh, so we're leaving on Wednesday, and we're going to do our best to go to uh, Musée Hergé, <laughs> uh, which is uh, the Hergé Museum. Yes, I know it's hard to do that translation, but that's what it is. <laughs> so we're going to go there. We're going to walk around. We're going to uh, try doing a little bit of a, a bonus episode of Totally Tintin, a podcast that we did once upon a time. And uh, we'll see how that goes. And then uh, the next couple of days, next two days, uh, we're doing um, uh, the FACTS, F-A-C-T-S, uh, convention, uh, where uh, I'm a guest and uh, and my wife is a guest and David will be at my table and uh, we'll be doing some signings and we'll be doing, I'll be doing some podcasts and we'll be talking to people. And it's David's first European Comic Con, and I'm very excited <laughs> for him to see this. Yeah, I'm uh, looking forward to this. I'm very worried about the amount of things he will buy because <laughs> there will be a lot of things there. And then we're going to yeah. attempt a trip to um, France. Yes. And uh, we're going to show David kind of the comic book uh, district of France. Yeah. I like how you say attempt. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going. I already have hotels. I know, there, so. I know, I know. But <laughs> I, I never make assumptions. I never <laughs> yeah, make that's assumptions. True. That's, that's true. Uh, we're going to do our darndest, <laughs> we're gonna do uh, our darndest to, yeah. to, to train our way Catch up there. That train. And yeah, super, super. Uh, it's the first uh, European trip. It's the first out of the country trip. Uh, since pandemic for me, yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, a bit nervous about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but me too. Uh, I haven't been out of uh, Canada since the. I've mm-hmm. been across the border, like <laughs> locally. Mm-hmm. So, which I think we can, but I just I'm too nervous about what the rules are to come back in again. So I just, right. I just don't bother. I'm just like thinking of like uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm I am I am excited. I wish you know had a little bit uh, more dough in the bank uh, and random doors were taken out of the bank uh, <laughs> on the way. Yeah, uh, we'll make some while we're at the con, but still in all, uh, yeah, it's a uh, but uh, but also ah, but also uh, uh, so yeah, we're uh, we're 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 going to do that. But uh, I am excited though. I am excited. I, okay. I'm I'm looking forward to to just seeing something. Uh, European for crying out loud! I'm just looking forward to seeing the houses. I'm just mm-hmm. looking forward to walking around. I've never been to that part of Europe, so I'm very excited. Yeah, well, I've never been to Belgium. I've been to Paris. You've been to Paris. I've been to Paris. As well. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's but, what I meant. I've never been to like that 
yeah, Belgium. I've been to Paris many, a couple times. Right. I shouldn't say many times. And I've, there are many times. And we've heard twice. that Belgians like Canadians, so we're really going to push our luck. We're going to really just like yeah. you know, bring up, oh, by the way, we're Canadian yeah. a lot. Oh, Canada. I'm going to hide my passport. Walk around and sing. Sing. Da, da, da. Hey, you guys like, like kids in the hall? Da, 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 and so on. So. They'll be like, you're an American. I'm really, I'm a Canadian. And I'm going to turn you, and go, get them. If, if an American criticizes Canada, I am, I am very, very offended. So. I'm I'm Canadian. Let's face it. Let's face it. Despite what my passport says. Yeah. Um. You know what? No, I don't. We should uh, top five it. Oh, Lord. <laughs> so, sorry. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> to mean to make you drown in your coke. By the way, if anyone here is uh, from Belgium or knows Belgium, has been to Belgium, uh, we're first of all going to be in Ghent. Yeah. And then uh, uh, get dropped off at the airport or something. We're, we're in the airport in Brussels. And yeah. then uh, to Ghent, and then uh, we're going to take a train. Uh, or we're going to go, again, say Hergé Museum. And then uh, we're going to go to Paris. Uh, what, what should we do when we're there? Give us some suggestions of things to see or things to do or things to eat. <laughs> uh, we would uh, like to get your opinions. Or if you're uh, uh, one of our uh, listeners who is there, uh, say hi. We'll figure stuff out. That would be nice. be nice to say hi to you. Okay, so Dave uh, used to do an old-timey podcast. You might know Dave mostly from Horse Mysteries, the podcast that just came back for its second season. What episode are you on now, Horse Mysteries? Uh, we're just... Uh, did we just do episode two, I think? So just stomp your foot on the ground. I'm uh, sorry, we've already recorded three because that comes out when we're away. Okay. So I've already got that one ready to go. <laughs> but there's two episodes that are out right now, so if you want yeah. Mysteries and Horses... Uh, uh, then uh, this is this is for you. Mm. Uh, David and his wife uh, Lisa will tell you many a story. Yes. But before uh, all this, back in the oldie days, Dave used to do a podcast with. You might have uh, heard us talking about uh, Mary leaving a movie. Well, listen, she did not leave this podcast. She did not leave a podcast called the Sneaky Dragon Listening Party, where every week or every two weeks, uh, Dave would uh, pick a theme. And he would play music uh, on that theme. Yeah. And then, boom, 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 they talk about it. Well, Dave missed that, so he's been adding that to every other episode of this show now. A little bit of a mini version of that. You can go back and listen to any of those episodes if you want on our website, sneakydragon.com. But this is uh, a top five sneaky dragon listening party mix for you. <laughs> and uh, what's the theme? Uh, well, the theme, I called it uh, top five songs, big cities. Or sorry, city lovin'. City loving. City loving. Yeah. Okay. Now, now the way Dave does this, let me just explain. Yeah. Is that you know that game Taboo, where <laughs> uh, say it's uh, something like ice cream. Yeah. But you can't say certain words that are the obvious words to describe Taboo, and the other people have to guess. Yeah. That's what Dave does. You think like, oh, songs about cities. Yeah. Dave will, you know, hot time, summer in the city, something yeah. like that. Like yeah. we no. That's one of the taboo ones. <laughs> He's going to get a bit more obscure. So what do we got? Well, because what I, what I, the idea behind this uh, top five isn't just... I call it the City Eleven because these songs are about loving the city. Okay. And I chose them all from around the same time period, which is late 60s. Because at this time, there were tons of songs and there was like a big movement to like get out of the city and go back to the land, go back to the country. Because that's where, you know, that's where man should be, living in nature and, you know, getting your head together in the country. Like right. Bands like Traffic, uh, you know, renting a cottage in Berkshire and living there in squalor, you know, g getting it together. Very popular, you know, the band in, in Woodstock, you know, or, uh, kind of inspiring Dylan to move there and live in this sort of uh, rural place. And 
No, these bands are saying, fuck that. Fuck that. I want to be in a place that has like a movie theater and has a place to go have fun and go I want dances. to pay for parking. I want to pay for parking. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, the first song, this is the Five Americans, okay. who of course did that great song, Western Union, which we have played in a, top, a previous top five. But this is uh, from the same album, Western Union. This is uh, Big Cities. Okay. This was released in 1968. So let's uh, give a listen to this song celebrating... A city. Here we go. I have been around the world, it's true. I have been in small town suburbs too. I tell you there's just one place to be. Scrapers and bright lights fill the air Windows, shoppers, people everywhere Lots of girls and they're the friendly kind Fast pace gets me down Then I have to leave the big town Lonely and lonely and lonely, lonely But I go back to the city That's where I find it What do you think of that? Uh, I said I liked the guitar. It was a nice, uh, smooth song. Enjoyed it. Yeah. 
uh, I did not like the uh, the high pitch big cities. I did not like that. That gra- that yeah. uh, made my teeth hurt a little okay, bit. Okay, okay. Uh, I liked them with B, to, when they harmonized. That was yeah, fine. Yeah. Uh, and I always find like listing the cities themselves mm-hmm. a bit of a cheap move in a song. Okay. I feel okay. like you know any song That's that like very will, smart thing Huey to Lewis do. in the news yeah. will like you know yell or Tom Cochran mm-hmm. will uh, you know yell and you go uh, Vancouver and like yeah he said our name of the song I yeah, love this yeah, song yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the Beach Boys did a whole song called Salt Lake City because they were told that they should do a song for Salt Lake City. They were popular there. Yeah. So they wrote this song, you know, that will basically saying Salt Lake City will be there soon to you know be back again to play a song. And yeah, it's just did it work? Did Salt Lake City fall for it? I assume they did. Oh, good. I don't know. It's a it's a fun. It's a good song. So they're probably like this song's pretty good. And it's about us, Salt Lake City. Nice. You know, unlike California Girls, or which, you know, just kind of name-checks a bunch of other places where the girls aren't quite as great as they are in California. Right. And this is, of course, the, the uh, these songs are the opposite to the Baronica Lady's Hello City, which is like a hate song. Yes, city. that's yeah. right. And, yeah. you know, I could have done that as well. Could have like done a hate song. Could have done a ton of hate songs about, you know, the city's noisy and it's hot. New York, and... New York, hey, go fuck yourself. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But no, I, I, you know, like, I feel like I live in the perfect place even though i live you know it's a fairly long drive into vancouver but it's not an impossible drive into vancouver mm-hmm. and so i can take i can enjoy the amenities of vancouver but still have like a, a peaceful place that i live in sure for now like wait till the election happens in langley then it'll be a shit show but up to this point it's pretty good mm-hmm. um but uh and so i i can enjoy the city and also but you know at this time you know people wanted to get it together in the country you know, the can teach, you know, go to the country. So here we go. This is a uh, next song is Joni Mitchell mm-hmm. from her very first al- album. Oh, wow. Song okay. to a Seagull, which was released in 1968, uh, produced by David Crosby, who was her boyfriend at the time before she sur- unceremoniously dumped him for who his bandmate. Who the hell did he not date? <laughs> why, why do you say that? Because it's David Crosby. Yeah. Like if you saw Crosby, you get around a little bit. If you saw Crosby stills and Nash, yeah, you went like, which one of these guys do you think gets the most action? Graham Nash. No, David Crosby, man. Don't you think? Uh, well, maybe Crosby. Yeah. I mean, you think good for Crosby with that? I mean, it's a look. Yeah. But it was, you know, it's a look that works if, say, you're a dwarf in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> but apparently, it yeah, worked yeah. really great. Yeah. You know, with all these. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah. I guess that's true. He did have like a leather. A leather cape made like they look like kind of like a, a middle yeah. middle ages cape and whenever people asked you know what he's bringing you go and my axe and i'm like all right yeah. fair enough david crosby there's a song on um on uh which album notorious bird brothers i think um renaissance fair so he's well into that already so anyway this is Joni mitchell from song to a seagull featuring featuring stephen stills on bass this is night in the city okay Town by surprise 
Joni Mitchell, I have to love it. It's beautiful, right? It's so beautiful. I'm Canadian. She's an angel. How dare you? How dare you even say, suggest anything could be wrong? Yeah, yeah. No, it's, she's fantastic. It's pretty great. Uh, and uh, it's funny because uh, it's funny to have a song celebrating a night in the city. And then there's that other beautiful song by her, Morning Morgantown, celebrating like the, the start of the day where shops are opening. And, and yeah, it's, it's a beautiful song. Um, don't ask me what album it's on. I think it's on Clouds? Hey Dave, uh, what what album is that? Huh? I think it's on. I'm Clouds? asking. You. I'm asking. You. <laughs> you're getting you're getting my best guess. Okay. All right. Now, Joni Mitchell. I don't think you could argue that I'm being obscure here. I'm thinking I'm being pretty obscure. Yeah, especially but, Canadian obscure. Yeah, yeah. But let's get obscure. This is a this is a group from from Holland. Who David Crosby dated for uh, <laughs> about five years. This is the Sandy Coast. Okay. Um. Now this was a single. It came out on Page One Records, which was a record label founded by Larry Page, okay. who was kind of a a early rock and roll impresario, one of those guys that would take, you know, Cliff Cliff Ankershnam and then change his, <laughs> change his name to you know Stone Boulder. I was going to go An- rock and Engelbert roll Humperdinck. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, his name was changed, but that's sort of the opposite, isn't it? It's funny how in the beginning of the 60s, you know, you had your Billy Furies and your Cliff Richards. I th- although I think Cliff Richards' name was real, but Billy Fury and uh, I can't remember that. There's other ones that had like, you know, these really like tough names, yeah. you know. The, the real names were like, you know, like I say, L. Jenkins or whatever, and they suddenly become, <laughs> you know. And so, um, so Paige, and then Paige was a, a kind of co-manager of the, the Kinks. Oh, cool. But he was really kind of too professional for them. And so they preferred like the kind of layabout amateurs they had as their uh, other managers, who are a couple of two like, they're like very uh, high class, very upper class twits who you know had some money behind them as well. And so they kind of like Page was sort of edged out of the out of the management of of uh, the Kings, but he, he I guess he took whatever he got paid off and he used it to form this Page One Records, and this is what uh, these guys released their album on. So this is the Sandy Coast, um, and it's called Back to the City. 
Let's give it a listen, everybody. This one, it was fun. It was bouncy. It reminds me of, say, a late uh, 80s, early 90s sitcom. Okay, yeah, like yeah. Like, that you know, it seemed like that could be someone going back to the city. And it was yeah, like, yeah. or a reverse Green Acres. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I just, I just... I just like it as kind of like an answer song to like all the other songs at that time demanding that we leave the city. And they're just like, nah, this city's... The country's boring. Go to the go to the city. That's yeah. where things are happening. Of course, they're in Holland. So maybe the cities are more exciting in Holland. I don't know. Do you think so? We're going to be in Europe. Do you want to go check them out? Let's go. <laughs> Just for the heck of it? Yeah, why not? It's They're all close. I assume they're all like a 20-minute drive from each yeah. other. Yeah. How far is Greece from Belgium? Pretty pretty close. Like 15 minutes? Greece from Belgium? Pretty good. 15 okay, minutes. We'll yeah, I think 15-minute bicycle ride. Yeah. Oh, it's only bicycles. Then. Yeah, yeah. So like yeah. white bicycles because it's Holland. Okay. They, and you got to wear wooden shoes when you're uh, riding them for safety. There was a there was a group in the 60s. I don't know what they were called. They kind of in, inspired like the Situationists in Paris in the late... But they were like... They were kind of like um, pranksters that would do like kind of like big sort of happenings mm-hmm. or these kind of one thing they did was they they placed all these white bicycles around 
around Amsterdam that were free bicycles that you could just ride and then just put leave and someone else could use it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this, people just <laughs> took them home, but that was the idea of it anyway. To have so there's white bicycle. So there's a song by this band called Tomorrow called My White Bicycle, oh, okay. which is a great song, by the way. Anyway, let's move to our our our, our is this our fourth song. All right, we're zipping through this. We're doing good here. Uh, this is a band called the Glory Roads. Okay, the Glory Holes, and then what happened? <laughs> but it's road spelled as in roads to Greece, R-H-O-D-E-S. Ah, all right. And um, I guess they, I was looking them up because I, I didn't know who they were. I just have this on a bubblegum collection. And and uh, I guess they're from a, a, a suburb of New Orleans called Metaria, which is where Ellen DeGeneres is from as well. Okay. And they were like a popular high school band that played dances and stuff like that even up into the 70s but they released a few singles and they were signed to atco which was um a subsidiary of atlantic records and so this is the b-side to uh, a song called i'm so happy singing tra la 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 but this is can we go to the city so let's give a listen to the glory roads this is from like this is from 1968 here we go Oh, really? I really enjoyed that one. Oh, I'm yeah, glad yeah. you did. There's one part... Not like my teenage years. Though. There's one part that it's really clumsily edited or something, <laughs> which kind of bothers me, but I, I do like it too, and so I kind of overlooked it, but I can't... I, I, I'm not going to give any, anyone a time moment. If you noticed it, you noticed it. If you didn't, great. Good. You know, good. You enjoyed it more than I did. But um, yeah, there's this one moment in the song where it just feels like they were going to do a piano thing, and they just cut it out and went right back into the chorus. And so there's like this kind of guitar buildup. And then this tiny, like, kind of like little piano thing, like, then suddenly it's whoop, right to the uh, chorus again, and just uh, bad editing there, engineer. Back to school, back to school with you, sir. By the way, every song in this is from 1968, except for the last one I played, which I didn't say the, the ah. date for, which is. Um, it was a good time for city loving. Back to the city was 69, but yeah, everything. Yeah, it was just the, the, of the time. This was this was the time. So here's here's our final song. This is um, a band I adore this is the turtles from their 
very last album, unfortunately, called Turtle Soup. And when they were going to do this album, there was a couple things that happened. One was, uncharacteristically, the lead singer of the group, um, who uh, um, Howard Kalin, quit, quit the band and left in some sort of dispute. And so there was a time when the band has kind of carried on without him. Because by this point, it was pretty much an all-new band anyway. Almost every person who was in the band when they started, they started as a, as a surf group. And then called the Crossfires. And Howard Kalin didn't even sing. He just played saxophone. And he somehow convinced the band to let Mark Fullman into the group, even though Mark Fullman couldn't play any instruments either or play an instrument. They just, he just came on to bang a tambourine just because he was friends with Howard Kalin. And then when they became a singing group, then they, they kind of became more... And then over time, all, everyone left the group except for um, uh, Howard Kalin, Mark Fullman, and um, I can't remember the guy's name now. His last name was Nichols. He was a, a guitar player. Everyone else was new to the band. So I think when Howard Kalin left, they're like, well, par for the chorus. This is another guy leaving. And so they just kind of divvied up the, the song, the singing with everyone else. Oh, okay. And so, you know, no longer Howard sing every song. Now, you know, Mark gets a chance and Jim gets a chance and other Jim gets a chance. <laughs> and uh, I think only John, uh, and then they got rid of the original, their drummer, who's a really good drummer, Johnny Barbata. Uh, they edged him out to bring in this guy named John Sider, who was with, um, with uh, uh, Sparky and our gang. And so he came in. But what's great about him coming was he brought songs, including this song, which is a great song. And so then the other thing they did was they, they loved the Kinks Are the Village Green Preservation Society. Yeah, they're right to. And, which is a, yeah, it's because it's one of the greatest albums ever. And so they, they brought uh, Ray Davies across the, the pond to produce this album. The problem was is, is they kind of lost... They kind of got cold feet when it came time to release the album, and they they changed his mix, and so they mixed themselves back up a little more loud and kind of pushed down the instrumentation so it wasn't quite as noisy. But in 1986, Rhino Records released a record that was like the restored the original mixes by by Ray Davies and or Ray Davis. I always want to say Davies, but I know it should be pronounced Davis. Mm. I didn't know that. So yeah, yeah, that's how it's supposed to be pronounced. And I, I didn't know that either. So I read his name as Ray Davies my whole life, and so it's hard to, it's hard to change now. I'm a, sure is. I'm set in my ways. Yeah, and it's hard to change your kinks. It's hard to change your kinks, and so, uh, yeah. So this album re- restored these original mixes. So I was kind of worried that I played this song at some point in in the in the listening party days. And I, I looked through my song list that I had from stuff that I... And I couldn't find it in there. Mm. But that's no guarantee because it's not like a, not like I'm the world's greatest record keeper. So um, I decided I wouldn't play the album version. I would play this version because it's slightly different. So anyway, this is a long story to us to get to this fantastic song. So let's listen to Love in the City by the Turtles uh, with their beautiful voices. And you can hear the, the, uh, the arrangements by Ray Pullman. One of the members of the Wrecking Crew is a bass player and a great arranger who also did a lot of stuff with Brian Wilson and the, and the Beach Boys. But anyway, let's listen to the Turtles. Here we go.
and we're back. What do you think yeah. of that? Uh, the really big sound. I liked it. Like it was. Really Isn't it great? Cool. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. When you're comparing it or bringing up uh, Village Green, mm-hmm. which is, again is like a big sound. Like there's a lot to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the Village Green song builds and builds and builds. Yeah. In such a great way. The misfortune uh, for Ray Davies or Ray Davis was that he Davis Davis was that he uh, was a pie artist. He worked for Pie Records, P Y E. And they were notoriously the cheapest record company in all of England. Mm. And so he could never get Ugh. that in kind of instrumenta- instrumentation he's bringing to the Turtles. They could get the funding, even though they were assigned to like a little tiny record label in L.A. called White Whale. Uh, White Whale at least was willing to like put some money behind this into the Turtles and pay for like some big orchestration and stuff like that. And yeah, the, the Kinks could never really have that because the record label just wouldn't give them the, the budget for that. Foo. That's what I say. All right. Uh, but no, I really uh, enjoyed that as well. Again, the the can we go to the city was my favorite mm-hmm. right before yeah, this, but yeah. that was very close. I like that a lot. Yeah, it's a beautiful song. I just love the imagery of it. You know, like them walking, you know, hand in hand from the bandstand, walking through the yeah. city, and then and then uh, all the beautiful uh, singing in there. And they also bring a little bit of their their boyhood choir singing when they both sang in a boys choir. And there's a little bit of Handel's The Messiah in the uh, background vocals to the song. Can't go wrong. <laughs> It's pretty great. Pretty great. I love it. So if you want to hear any more of that, uh, listen every two weeks to this show and or go to SneakyDragon.com and listen to past episodes of Sneaky Dragon Listening Party. And well you worth your time. Well, well worth getting out of a well. If you're a little <laughs> girl who uh, is cursed. Uh, last week on the show, we asked some questions as we do, and then we turned to the mailbag and answer said questions. Here is uh, what we... And also, you might just discuss the show itself. You could talk about whatever you want. It's your mm. call. Uh, the question of the week last week was, apart from the Muppets, because screw those guys, they know what they did, uh, <laughs> what's your favorite puppet? And sub-question of the week was, apart from Disney, which includes Pixar, because screw those guys, they know what they did, who makes the best animated movies? So, let's see what Liam had to say, Dave. Yeah. Favorite puppet. The puppets that the ventriloquist brought to my elementary school and used to tell us stories about Jesus. There you go. I'm made of the one true cross. No, you're not, knothead. Yeah, I will prove I'm not. Um, Favorite animation. Let's look at the non-Disney animated American films uh, released in theater since 2021. Very well. And he will review them with one word. Tom and Jerry. Bad. Spirit Untamed. Bad. Boss Baby Family Business. Good. Space Jam, A New Legacy. Bad. (laughs) Paw Patrol, the movie. Bad. Sorry, Louise, I don't know if you're involved with it. The Addams Family 2. Bad. (laughs) Sing 2. Bad. (laughs) The Bad Guys. Good. Oh, that is weird. You would think bad guys would be bad, but bad guys good. Bad guys are good. Opposites. Uh, Minions, the rise. see that movie. Minions, the rise of Gru. Yep. Bad. <laughs> Pause of Fury. Bad. Oh DC's League of Super Pets. Yeah. What did it get? They're a force for good. Okay. But the movie, bad. <laughs> Considering the two movies I liked are from DreamWorks, I would have to say they make the best animated films. There you go. There you go. I would like to see uh, the bad guys. Yeah, me uh, too. Yeah. They uh, a pretty good series of books. Um, Louise, <gasps> who works on Palm Patrol, but I don't know if she Patrol. worked on the movie, so yeah, I, don't I don't want to make I don't think everything. so. Okay. For favorite puppet, it's hard to top that emu. We talked about the, uh, <laughs> love the, love the Rod emu. Hall and his uh, emu. Amazing emu. Uh, it's pronounced Davis. 
Um, <laughs> Rob Hull was really able to pull off that illusion of the bird being a separate entity mm-hmm. uh, with its own untamed personality. I heard a story from Bill Hudson. Okay. He was talking about how uh, the brothers were walking by his dressing room once, yeah. and he was having an argument with the bird. <laughs> well, it, I mean, I mean, it sounds funny, but at the same time, to make it so believable, you do have to kind of believe it yourself. Yeah. Uh, it helped that it was nonverbal, otherwise skeptical me would have been watching to see if the puppeteer's lips moved. I remember seeing Waylon Flowers on TV shows, and he always had his puppet uh, madam open with, He's no ventriloquist, and I'm no dummy! So you know uh, he wouldn't be trying to throw his voice. Then the camera would stay in close on the puppet, like with uh, Robert Smigel and Triumph the Insult Comic Dog. He's more of a parody of a puppet and or stand-up act. But I liked him in small doses, especially when he's challenging pompous celebrities and politicians and their lackeys. I also appreciate the puppetry behind uh, Grogu, a.k.a. Baby Yoda. (laughs) They use some CGI, but it's mostly physical uh, animatronic puppets that you see on screen. The design is great. I don't know when he'll fully develop whites in his eyes like Yoda. But for now, those big dark eyes make him look both alien and cute like a puppy. So, uh, yeah, it was uh, Wayland Flowers. She corrects herself uh, there afterwards. Uh, yeah, I hmm. saw um, Robert Smigel doing Triumph once at uh, Comic-Con, like, live. Oh, oh yeah. And uh, you just watch the puppet. Even though he's yeah. saying the things, you yeah. never don't watch the puppet. Yeah. It's interesting. I, 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 like, the same with, I just want to say, I'm the same way with Ventriloquist. Like, I'm not looking at Edgar Bergen, let's say, and, uh, who notoriously was a... Moved his lips. Ooh, yo, 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 yo. I didn't. I didn't look at him. I'm looking no. at the, the the the. You know, I am. I'm your absolute gull. I'm this the guy you want. I'm like I'm the guy you want to watch your magic act because I'm gonna watch. I'm gonna all your things you do to distract me from what is happening. I, I fall for them. I would say my favorite ventriloquist, though I did like Willie Tyler and Lester back in the day, mm-hmm. uh, was and I forget the name of the guy, uh, but it was something in Bob, and they were on um, soap. I was just going to say, there was one, the one on soap, yeah. Yeah, that was very, very good. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, I like Anthony Hopkins in his... Uh, oh, in uh, Magic. Dummy. In Magic, yes. Billy. Is that a name? Ugh, that was a terrifying commercial. <laughs> Edward uh, Dragansky, uh, right? Hey, Edward. Hey, nice to hear from you. Uh, even though he's voiced by Muppet royalty, I'll have to pick Yoda as my all-time favorite puppet. Hmm. I remember how I was taken with him in uh, Empire Strikes Back, The Empire Strikes Back. Yoda was immediately my favorite, and I still don't know his last name. Oh, Hershowitz. <laughs> uh, I can still remember uh, hearing a much younger child in the theater say, That's not Grover. Dear Far! <laughs> Years before. Hey, froggy baby! <laughs> Years before Star Wars, I grew up listening and watching Charlie McCarthy uh, get under the skin of W.C. Fields Mm -hmm. from Edgar Bergen's lap. Uh, Bergen and McCarthy were a favorite of mine, but it was hard to find them on television. So I bought their album on ventriloquism and got a Charlie McCarthy puppet from Santa and did myself, you know, kind of. (laughs) Nice. Uh, a previous uh, senior art director of mine was a huge Jerry Anderson fan mm. and was always on me about watching Anderson's Super Marionation shows. I think I watched some of the Thunderbirds or Fireball XL5, but they just came off as creepy to me, especially when the female marionettes were operated as sexy and the puppets would kiss. You know someone out there has a fetish for that. Yeah. Y- you know they do. Why not? Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, we're not one to judge. Not hey, man, you could like Madam for all I. <laughs> um, man, Fireball XL5 had a good theme song. Let me just say that. That's good. So did Stingray. Stingray. Yeah, Thunderbirds is okay, but uh, Fireball 
Wish I think I, I feel the same way. Here's the thing. Well, one thing is uh, when Eve was a baby, she would always wake up at the same time every night. It was two in the morning. Okay. She wouldn't even cry. She just she would go like this. And it would wake me up. Oh. It would wake me up because I was so so trained to hear that. Oh. I would get up and I would feed her a bottle. And Stingray would be on, on YTV at that time of night. Sting, what, now how's the theme song there? I want to go Stingray, Stingray. Is it that was right? just like, Stingray. Yeah, it was just a kind of do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Like, yeah. um, uh, the single was released by Pi Records, by the way. I have it on a mm. Pi Records anthology. Anyhow, um, what was I going to say? Oh, so I would always watch fireball or sorry stingray yeah. the whole the whole of stingray the half hour of it while i was feeding Aww. her her bottle and uh so i kind of a nice memory i kind of developed like a an affection for the which i always found like the thunderbirds a little kind of boring mm-hmm. when i was in my 20s because i didn't grow up with them so i just you know they were was like that the one with brains with yep brains, brains yes. and the terrible american accents and lady whatever her name was and um is, but, there a, is there a lady brains? But David, <laughs> David got this a laser disc that had had two Thunderbirds movies on it, and in one of the films, there's a scene where they're in this low flying jet, and the character's trying to defuse a bomb on this jet before the jet reaches its destination where it will crash and explode. Sure. And it is literally super tense. Like, it's really well made. <laughs> and so you're like, oh, these stupid, dumb marionation things. And they, they're so clunky. And, and then you're watching the scene. It was, like, so tense making. It was amazing, like, how effective it was. So, cool. so you, know, it, it, you know, it doesn't matter what it is. It can, it can work. You Good can make stuff. it work. Uh, I didn't have to think twice about how much I lo- Oh, sorry. The only thing worse was clutch cargo, which leads me to animation. <laughs> uh, I didn't uh, have to think twice about how much I love the depth and movement of Max Fleischer's cartoons. Oh, so good. I remember mm-hmm. when they released the Superman cartoons back in the 80s on VHS. I watched those over and over, drawing classic Superman illustrations with the newly vivid colors. I wish Max Fleischer had done more Superman, but he did inspire uh, future animation like Batman the Animated Series down the road, and I was crazy about that, too. Yeah. Uh, heavens to Murgatroyd. I better cut this short and exit straight right. Be <laughs> kind uh, to each other out there, sneakers. He says he's going away, but he's right back again. Uh-oh. <laughs> you know, uh, on with the show. This is it. And yeah. then he comes right back out. That's right. This and is, for another da-da-da. It's called the German exit. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah, Ian, considering those uh, concerning those magnificent Treasury Addiction uh, comics, yeah. I still have my original DC Marvel Wizard of Oz I bought as a kid. <laughs> those editions weren't all that easy to come by, so when I saw one, I bought it, or my folks bought it for me. Those were the best. Treasury Editions were bigger, with huge splash pages, the greatest covers, sometimes painted, and the best thing they ever uh, they did was they had no ads. It wasn't a DC Marvel venture. But do you remember uh, Marvel did a Treasury edition on the Land of Oz? I do, and I get those confused sometimes. Yes. They took a few... Uh, they had the uh, pumpkin-headed guy on the cover. Mm. They took a few liberties with the story, added uh, more of the Tin Woodsman uh, to it, and drew the characters as they looked in the MGM film. The cover actually calls out, They're back! The Scarecrow and the Tin Tabulating Tin Man, whatever that means. Uh, the means, Tin Man with tentinitis means ringing. There we go. And the last page promotes a forthcoming Ozma of Oz that would never be published. Uh, needless to say, I bought that one in a hot minute, and I also <laughs> have it. Uh, this has been more Oz Talk with Ed. <laughs> Thank you, Ed. Nice. Yeah, I love the uh, Big Treasure uh, edition books so so very very much. Uh, I also like the little digest ones too. Buy those at the store. Ooh, lots of little weird random stories. How do you feel about the floppy ones? Ugh. The worst. <laughs> Paper cuts a go-go. Uh, Billy writes, When puppets are mentioned, I always think of Mr. Rabbit on that kid's show, Captain Kangaroo. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, he was a he was a bit of a he was a bit of a tight ass that rabbit if I remember. Why do you say that, Mister? Well, Mister Moose was a bit of a prankster. Yes, and he'd always be trying to uh, fool the captain into saying something or doing something. Yeah, and then ping pong balls would drop down. On his head. <laughs> that was good. But let me tell you, yeah. Hey, Moose, you're in the line of fire as well, Jack. You're getting bald in the he head as mind. well. He didn't mind. He didn't mind. He had the, he had the antlers. I remember, like the rabbit, even though he was a bit of a nerd because he wore glasses. You'd think like the carrots would help his vision. Yeah. Uh, he would always like. Um, That's a myth. He wouldn't eat the uh, greens on his carrots, and they were always going, "Eat your greens!" And he mm. was like, "No, I don't want to eat my greens." And that was his <laughs> big thing. Um, or those in Mister Rogers' Land of Make Believe. He, he didn't. Well, he didn't want to. He felt like he would be eating Mister Green Jeans. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it's a little too close. Do you think Mr. Green Jeans grew the uh, carrots? Because it feels like he's a yeah, farmer. It feels like it's a farmer. Well, it's possible. Yeah. Hmm. Huh. Never thought about that. Does Mr. Green Jeans get the blues? <laughs> or in those uh, Mr. Rogers lands of make believe, like King Friday and Daniel Tiger, uh, Daniel Stripe It Tiger? He didn't go to Stripe It College for years to be, just be called Daniel Tiger. <laughs> But that's just me being nostalgic. Also, uh, Madam, like uh, Louise, Wayland Flowers, Wayland Flowers and Madam, had a short-lived syndicated sitcom in the 80s called Madam's Place, which sure sounds like a brothel, but it's not. It was a hotel. It was a hotel? It was kind of a faulty towers, okay. but with Madam, even though uh, what? Uh, who was the, the faulty character in the American remake of Faulty Towers? I would think Manuel. It was, well, no, uh, I'm talking about like a, a, a sitcom actor. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, a sitcom actor who... Yeah. And a, and, and a hint is not an actor, but an actress. Who was in the Faulty Towers? Remake. It wasn't called that, but it was a Faulty Towers remake in America when they tried to remake it in America. Oh. Basically pull uh, From Death to Us part... To uh, All in the Family, they tried to redo Faulty oh, Towers, see. but they made an American version. Oh, okay. And it was a famous uh, American sitcom actress in, in the lead. Oh, really? Who was this famous sitcom actress? I ask you, the listener, and I ask David, the co-host. Who was it? Was it Maud? You're correct. It was B. Arthur. Absolutely. She did not play Maud. I know. I couldn't remember character. her name. <laughs> okay and anytime she came out, people went, oh, and then there's Maud. Yeah. And uh, Norman Lear went, I own that! And you're like, shut up, Lear. What are you going to live to be 100? Get out of here, you. Um, he did. And uh, he Billy, does. He, Bill, does. he does. He does. You know what it is? Because he's got that magic hat. Mm. You take him off, it's like Frosty the Snowman. He just melts. <laughs> that was his glasses. His little round glasses. Does he have round glasses? I remember thinking of his wife. <laughs> or ex-wife. Yeah. As long as his ex-wife wears her I round glasses. She, I think he wears like round glasses, doesn't he? I don't know. I might be wrong. Are you going to look up a picture of him? I'm going to look up a picture of Norman Lear. All right. Norman Lear now, not Norman Lear then. Back in those days, he was a real square. I mean, there's no way he's not wearing glasses now. Exactly. Okay. Wait, wait. Are we talking... What what year are we looking at for Norman Lear? Like now, like nowadays. Okay. He's got glasses, but they're not round. Oh, okay. Well, okay. misremembering. Of course he's got glasses. He's 100 years old. (laughs) I think literally he's 100... He is 100 years old. Yes. That's good. That's not a joke. Good for him. Okay. So... Uh, I suppose uh, Billy. His continues. life is a horror show, but good for him. Hmm? Uh, Billy uh, continues. Yes. Uh, I, do you think he's a ghost? Maybe Bil- he's a Billy? Ghost. No, no. Oh, Norman, Norman Lear. Lear, and and people haven't just like put their hand through him. Yeah. To test. Mm. Maybe. Uh, Billy continues. I suppose my favorite non-Disney animated films are from Studio Ghibli, like Spirited Away and uh, Grave of the Fireflies. I expected more people to say Ghibli movies. 
Yes. Honestly. Yes. Uh, but uh, there we go. And Edward uh, comes back on and uh, and and does a link to the Land of Oz Treasury Edition. So thank you for that. Uh, check that out. At, uh, I did Steve check it out. It does say Tintinabulating. And with uh, Tintin as well. Oh, wow, that's weird. That's weird. He says it in Oz. Yeah. It's the Tintin Man. <laughs> and uh, we like it. Yeah. And I approve. Toto and Snowy get into a big fight. Oh, Tintin. Uh, Tintin and Oz would be actually pretty great. Yeah. Uh, Peter uh, Ayers. Ayers? Ayers. Peter. What would you say? Peter Gemini. Okay. Uh, late again. No, no, you're fine. So straight into it. Fair enough. Muppets aside, Hanson and company were responsible for a huge number of my favorite puppets as I was growing up from the Dark Crystal and the Storyteller to perhaps the most impressive puppet of all time, the many incarnations of Audrey 2. What's that? Audrey 2 is uh, from Little Shop of Horrors. Oh, okay. Yep. Uh, it's hard to think of non-Henson puppets with comparable cultural impact, but one heavyweight female is worth a mention. Her Majesty the Queen Alien. The way she <laughs> unfolds from the back of the, dro- the dropship is slinky and delicious. I seem to remember they use many techniques to bring her to life, from scale models to full-size rod puppets. The effect is astonishingly believable, despite her outlandish design and the sense of strength and weight. Uh, the, strength, the sense of strength and weight convinces, even though the real thing must have been both lightweight and fragile. Yeah. Uh, the many super marionation shows of Jerry Anderson are also worth a mention. Did any of these ever take off in Canada? They they play pretty they regular play, here. I, mean, I don't know yeah. if they were super popular because of the because of the connection, particularly in. In the 60s, because of the connection between Britain and Canada, a lot of those shows were shown here. You know? Yeah. So, like, Monty Python was shown here yeah, well I was before. Familiar. Was... I was definitely familiar, but I, they didn't really take off with me particularly. Yeah, yeah. No, they we didn't see... I didn't see them on TV here until... Like, they were in reruns on YTV, which would have... I was, mm. like... By that point, I was in college. That was youth television here Yes, in youth television. And I was in college by that point. And so, it, you just can't really, like... It's not the same. But like no. I say... I, I did watch that um, that movie on Laserdisc that David's and that that was really well done. Like it was amazingly well done. By the way, uh, Dave just talked about watching a Laserdisc, so please take a drink. And then, um, interestingly, uh, the the singer Nick Drake is very very popular now, but for a long time was very obscure. His sister was uh, on UFO, which was mm. Jerry Anderson's first all human TV show. Yeah, he still made them wear strings. <laughs> Just drag them along. He He only knew one way to direct them, yeah. Two two lines down on the other side of their mouth. Yeah, and then a lot of bobbing heads. Yeah. Um, By the way, I can do a killer impersonation of a a Thunderbirds character. Oh, but you have to do it live? It has, well, it has, yeah. Okay, next time you see it. It has to be physical. Next time you see David live, go do your impression of a Thunderbirds character. I'll do it for you. Okay. They slightly predated me, but I remember being very impressed by Terra Hawks as a youngster. I don't know. Don't know what that is. I don't know. Uh, strange to see so much talk of Rod Hull, who was a fixture <laughs> on UK TV in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. He recently went viral on Twitter, Twitter with a sublime clip of Emu throwing Rod over his own head into a chest freezer. I saw that. That's what kind of got me on the on the uh, the, the the Emu Emu tip because I saw that and then I was like, oh man, if you guys don't know what this is, you have to see, you have to watch him in action because it's amazing. Uh, his death was particularly bizarre and tragicomic. Falling from his roof, having climbed to adjust the TV aerial during a Manchester United game. Oh. Yeah. So, you know, the old fortune teller was right. <laughs> you should have tipped more, too. Uh, to lift the mood, I recommend you seek out 
the Venezuelan Jungle Parrot sketch, a kind of anti-ventriloquist act. The best non-Disney animated films are, of course, by Japan Studio Ghibli, no comment necessary, <laughs> Ireland's Cartoon Saloon, Wolf Walkers is Totally Gorgeous, yeah, that's a good movie. and UK's Laika, particularly Box Trolls and Coraline. Yep. Uh, plus, shout out... Uh, shout to a uh, shout to Did the. Did you say UK's like a? Uh, US's, sorry. Oh yes, I probably said UK. But they're b- based in Portland. Plus, a shout to the historic films by the Czech Unpronounceables, uh, Jan Svarmajers Alice, Jiri Barta's uh, Chrisar, and uh, Karel Zeman's uh, Inspiras Inspirace Inspirace. <laughs> I could wax lyrical about all these at length. But I'm all out of wax. Kiss, kiss, Peter. Nice. And like that, puff, he was gone. He was gone. So that is uh, that is our uh, our webpage uh, comments. Uh, do you have any email style? I do have it. All right, hit me with it. Hit you. Hit me with it one more time. All right. This is um, from this is from Jonathan Bampton. Excellent. Uh, Couldn't be happier. Two time winner of our. Uh, Multi-time loser. <laughs> he says, Dear Ian and Dave, loving the show as always. Then he says, Dear Regis, any chance you can scrimp and save and get to meet up with the guys in Belgium? No need, because we'll be coming to Paris. So if, if uh, Regis wants to get together in Paris, then we will do that. Okay. Hopefully you could send us sneakers, a photo of you all chowing down on some French fries, or is it Belgian fries? Hell, settle that debate. Also, here's a possible question for next week. What's the funniest sentence or conversation you've just arrived halfway into? Mine was in year nine camp. I'd just come back from taking a leak in the bush <laughs> and came back to the campfire to hear someone say, gentlemen, start your vibrators. What a non sequitur. <laughs> All the best. Jonathan. He changed his, he's changed his spelling again. Um, I guess we could use that as a question for this week. Okay. That's worth, uh, what's the funniest sentence or moment you, yes, what's when you... Dropped into a conversation. What was the startling thing you heard that you, that, uh, yeah. Okay. And uh, what is, uh, without maybe too much spoilers, uh, what is the scariest scene you've seen in a movie? Oh, that's nice. That's nice. Yeah, you can just sort of. our nice spooky Halloween. <laughs> just sort of uh, describe around it. Yeah. And, uh, and you can say the movie. Yeah, say the you movie. You can say, like, uh, generally what's going on, but mm-hmm. maybe don't, uh, you know, uh, ruin the gag. You <laughs> know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a good yeah. one. That's a good one. And folks, just so you know, a little bit of housekeeping here. Because Ian and I are, will be traveling uh, next week and the week after, we'll be pre-recording shows for those two weeks. So mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately, we won't be able to answer your questions right away. But of course, please write them in because yeah. we will get back on this horse when we, we could pretend when what you wrote we could do that yes but, but that'd be fair no we want to hear your authentic voices so when edward dragansky was working uh, for the uh seven up spot campaign uh some controversy uh, developed when people thought oh, go ahead. you didn't say dr pepper no i was going with the spot i was going a little that's a little too obvious okay i'm sorry i'm, I'm very basic you're right right <laughs> I was just looking and seeing, like, um, uh, of course, the third dragon, uh, yes. Nina Matsumoto. Yes. Uh, she's married to uh, a, f- a friend of the show, Bob okay. Mackey, yep. uh, who will be doing a podcast, I believe, soon on uh, video games uh, using uh, mascots. And one of them is The Spot. 
I it see. Made me think uh, from seven. What up. the seven seven up spot seven was up a mascot. Had a video game. Is a mascot as a well, yeah, for seven up. It was I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know that. And uh, and so it made me think of that, and it made me think of Edward and the, the, all the connections, and what a small world we live in. It's true. It's we so do. small that we're going to go have dinner with uh, Nina right now. That is true. We are going to go have dinner with Nina how before we... we come back and do another show. Oh my gosh! Really? All right. So... Fair enough. <laughs> so everyone, if you'd like to uh, get in touch with us, here's what you do. We are on Twitter at Sneaky underscore Dragon. We have a Facebook page called Sneaky Dragon, or you can go to our website. It's called SneakyDragon.com. Mm-hmm. You will find space there to leave a comment. And if you want to uh, send an email, use this address. It's SneakyD at SneakyDragon.com. Yep. And if you'd like to be, you know, I don't want to make any hints too broad, but if you, you know, thinking like, maybe you'd like to send Dave a book, like Peter mm-hmm. Ayers did so kindly last week. Oh. If you go to our website... On the contact us page, you will find our snail mail address, which suspiciously is based in Aldergrove. I wonder whose address that is. Anywho, there we go, everyone. That's all for this week, I think. Okay. Yeah, Once you have you, some last minute. Uh, no, if you want to write a letter to Zoom, that's Box 350, Boston, Mass 02134. Uh, but that is only in the 1970s. So, Well, there you go. Uh, bye-bye, Frabens. Subbulous. Sails home with fire